this weekend there's like four or five movies that I'm really wanting to see. Have you seen the trailer for like Bad Times at the El Royale? No, I haven't even. I don't even know Dude, what that is. It looks it looks incredible. It's like this weird, like you know, just like this small crime story set in a hotel. I don't oh know what happens. Oh my god! But it's got, yes, the Chris Hemsworth thing. Yes, and yeah, it's Chris Hemsworth and Jeff a million Bridges, other actors that are great. John Ham, yeah, John Ham, Dakota Johnson. Like it's it looks Holy awesome. And it's the, shit! Yes, it's the guy who wrote um who wrote The Martian and also directed Cabin in the Woods and created the Daredevil show. Like. And he's doing the new X Force movie, and so I'm just like, it's it's a combination of a lot of my favorite things, and that's, I'm like, that's so solid pumped to see it. Resume of work, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then also like, and he also wrote on like Buffy and Lost and shit like that. Um, but then okay. at the same time, we've got First Man coming out, and I'm like a sucker for any kind of like high budget space movie. Uh, uh, agreed. It makes it gives me Apollo 13 vibes, and I'm just like, ooh, chills, it's yummy. Totally. I'm super like I'm super down to see it. And then there was one other movie that was co- oh, uh, Halloween is coming out as well, the the new Halloween movie, and I'm like, oh, that looks really good. Uh, guil- like, guilty, uh, guilty confession here. I've never seen a Halloween movie. I'm not much of a a horror guy it freaks me out too much i've only seen one but just the trailers for the new halloween movie look incredible it looks like, really not, good i it's, don't have any yeah it's my yeah. it would be my favorite if i was gonna say like judge them solely on their trailers and i've seen it you know <laughs> you, you see them when they come out the trailers for halloween movies this one looks yeah. legitimately good because it feels like uh is jamie lee curtis yeah her yes. her character seems like a match for him for the first time like it's always just like you know the unstoppable killer well it's kind of yeah. cool to see the the human who's trying at least to kind of go toe to toe and you know you'll see how that goes obviously it's not going to go well but <laughs> um i think that that's uh i haven't really seen like one of those uh throat slasher horror movies have that kind of vibe that wasn't like and i didn't see jason versus freddy or whatever, freddy versus jason whatever it is um uh-huh. but those are two monsters you know going toe-to-toe but this one feels like almost like predator there you go Ooh, there you go yeah you know what else feels like a predator <laughs> what the <laughs> savage land Welcome back to the Savage Land. My name is Jason Hammonds, and today we've got a, a guest appearance coming over all the way from the comic book workshop and, and somewhere deep in the, the mountains of, of, of a mysterious unnamed location. Uh, he's uh, joining the show. He's, he's been on before, so you probably know him, especially if you're a comic book workshop listener. He's Kent Heidelman. Welcome to the show, Kent. Thank you so much, Jason. It is a, an absolute pleasure. Uh, this is the first way that you know we really got introduced was... You know, we met one night, and then you told me about your podcast, and I'm like, oh, cool, check it out. And then I listened to it, and I'm like, oh, man, I love this podcast. And so immediately I was like, I want to be a guest on this podcast. And so now, uh, you know, bucket list item checked off. This is super fun for me. There you go. Yeah, I know. You've, you've only been on uh, the news episodes before, and I think we will be touching on some news today. But uh, oh, we'll I love just that. be hanging out, doing some catch-up. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, that's, let's, let's do this. What do, what do we got? Oh, dude, we we got all sorts of stuff. We'll we'll start off with the catch up first. Uh, I've so as as you know, I've been kind of going through a, a Frank Miller renaissance uh, the last the last few months, right? Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. I I know what you're talking about, <laughs> especially with the in a way. Uh, maybe not. I'll I'll let you tell your story. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're fine. I'm guessing at what you're going to say. Uh, so I want to, but I want to make sure I'm wrong. All right, go for it. You might, you might actually be wrong. I, I don't know if you know it. Um, a few. I mean, I, I just the last few months, I've I've really been kind of uh, reappreciating Frank Miller, and you know, for all the craziness and and you know stuff that uh, that he gets flack for, I totally recognize that stuff. But I've I think it's more that I've been really diving into the work of Frank Miller again. Um, and there's there's a very kind of large, uh, as the British would say, a large pockmark in the uh, career of Frank Miller in most people's eyes, and that is uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a pockmark. I have an interesting relationship with that story, but keep going. You you you. Well, not, I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what your relationship is because you know my relationship with Dark Knight Strikes Again was basically. Oh, everybody says it's really bad, so I might not really read it. Uh, I would see, like, you know, bits and pieces of the art, and it looked really weird, and the coloring was so strange, and, you know, for a long time, my mindset was just like, oh, man, that art's really bad, and so I'm not going to read that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I'd heard, like, they did weird stuff with, like, the Joker and Dick Grayson and and all this stuff, Um, so I just didn't really bother with it for a long time. Um. But recently, I think it was more brought on by, like, I had reread um, Dark Knight Returns. I had been reading some of Miller's Daredevil stuff. Um, Electra Assassin, especially, which Bill Sienkiewicz's art in Electra Assassin is just mind-blowing, let alone Frank Miller's story. Um, and so I, I was revisiting a lot of stuff, you know, Sin City as well. And what I started to notice is that the artwork in Sin City is kind of pretty close to what the artwork looks like in dark knight strikes again i don't know if you've noticed that same thing or not um um, not as much but uh now that i'm kind of recalling the images and i the conversations that we've had recently uh and it's just stripping away the colors i could kind of see where you're going yeah absolutely i could see that definitely very very similar in style yeah and i i really like i I don't know. It's it's just kind of like when when I'm looking at the line art specifically, um, you know, it, it, he's he's getting fairly cartoony um, in in Dark Knight Strikes Again, and but also in Sin City. Like there, I think the cartooning in his work uh, really started in Sin City. Like he he got a little bit further from what the body sort of looks like and what the face usually looks like in real life and, and really started stretching uh, reality a lot more, you know? Um, yeah, I, I agree. And so anyway, I, I started seeing that and I was like, you know what? Like people love Sin City and I personally really like Sin City and the line art, you know, looks really similar. So I don't, I'm not, I'm like starting to like kind of break down the the perception that like the line art in Dark Knight Strikes Again is just bad. Um and so I finally was like, I was at Amoeba Records one day, which is like right across the street from my office, and they had Dark Knight Strikes Again for like five bucks. Easy, um, easy grab. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll buy it and I'll check it out and, and see how it goes. Um, and and I, I think this was also brought on by the fact that like uh, at some point, I think this was like three or four years ago, uh, Grant Morrison was on one of Kevin Smith's podcasts talking about how he liked dark knight strikes again more than dark knight returns um what and how he felt yeah and how he felt like it was almost uh like a really interesting evolution and that miller was really pouring his heart out on the page there and dealing with a lot of stuff in his his life at the time and he was talking about how specifically you could see in the middle of the story frank miller who's you know a new york guy uh kind of responding to 9-11 
um, where the story just kind of takes this sharp turn and you can see him really dealing with uh, what was happening at the time. And, and obviously, as people know, like, you know, there was there was a period of time where Frank Miller went really kind of, I'd say, almost Islamophobic. Yeah, uh, I think that's a fair uh, assessment. You know, yeah, it's like you read something like Holy Terror and you can see uh, pretty plainly, you know, what his sort of prejudice was were at the time. Yeah. Um, and so you can see some of that in this as well. And, and you know, there's there's a lot of like blatant commentary on not like in, in Dark Knight Strikes Again. It wasn't that he was commenting on 9-11. It was more that he was commenting on uh, America's uh, response to 9-11 like not like the response from america's population um <laughs> and you know he, he like put in like these interview segments where like people are talking to somebody for the news and they're like you know i think we should just get over it whatever like those people in in uh metropolis are just like you know or in gotham i can't remember which city it was that got attacked in, in dark knight strikes again but um i think they're just holding on to it and they really need to get over it and then like a recurring gag in the comment or in that that comic is like that they would respond and be like Oh, I'm from San Francisco. Why do you ask? And just like talking about how like anyone who wasn't as affected by it, you know, from other parts of the country didn't fully understand and were, you know, making these these statements and forming these opinions without really being, you know, close to it or directly affected by it. And, that's, that's a pretty good zing um, on his part. That's that's a yeah, and it's it's like definitely a recurring gag that you see quite a few times, and you're like, okay, I, I see what you're doing here, Frank Miller. Um, pretty clever. All that to say. All that to say, I think first off, I'm I'm appreciating the weirdness of the art and specifically of Lynn Varley's coloring. Um, you know, this was at a time like when Wildstorm had just really kind of made a, a, a an impact on the comics industry, where people were coloring with computers a lot more. It shows um, heavily. <laughs> it shows heavily, and there's a lot of like weird pixelated effects and a lot of stuff that just doesn't quite make sense. And you know people didn't know when to use a gradient and when not to and like how to use them and oh my god you know yeah. cell shading wasn't really much of a thing and and you know like the sort of um cut and grad method wasn't really a thing yet uh and so it looks really weird but at the same time like revisiting it now like 20 years later almost uh it's it's got kind of an interesting beauty to it like it's it's weird and it doesn't fit but it's almost like this kind of acid trip sort of effect where you're just like none of this makes sense but i'm kind of loving it um that's so funny that you're know, having I, that experience to it i don't remember not i don't remember it being so acid trippy but i i know that like the colors were over the top but um yeah the colors are crazy and like the anatomy is weird like all around women yes. and men it gets, and you know, i feel and like it gets weirder as the story's going along like it gets, definitely okay cool I'm, I'm like making sure i'm not alone on that one I need, well, a bu- I need a buddy. Here's the th- yeah, and here here's the thing that I that I noticed that um for the first time I, I sort of realized in this revisit is that Frank Miller in this book and I think also in Sin City uh, is inking himself, and in all of his oh. works previous he had had Klaus Janssen inking him. I didn't know that. Um, and what what I was seeing is that in some of the in like the Dark Knight Returns trade paperback they show a lot of penciled, like just uh, parts of the penciled pages. I don't think they ever show a full one, but they show sort of images from his penciled pages. And I think his pencils, for the most part, look pretty similar to how they always had. Um, and so I don't think Frank Miller's art got bad or anything like that. I think that he gets very um, expressionistic with his inking. Oh. Uh, 
And I think that, you know, with certain artists, you don't want to draw the same picture twice, right? Like if you have really tight pencils, then inking can kind of be a boring and laborious process, right? Like you're I've just tracing that, yeah. over your lines. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's boring. Um, whereas, you know, it's like uh, some people's response to that is to do much looser pencils and then kind of connect the dots with uh, with the inking and, and just be like, yeah, like this is kind of what I was going for or whatever, you know, but still making the inking kind of a new and exciting process by not having such tight pencils. Um, I think Frank Miller's process, at least in this book, is kind of the opposite, where I think he would do pretty pretty tightly laid out pencils so that then he has the freedom with his inks to kind of stretch it a bit and still know that the structure is there to begin with. Um, that sounds like this a is lot just of work. Me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think, it's this, I, I think it could almost be the same amount of work, just a little bit of a reversal. Um, and this could just me, be me kind of inserting uh, meaning onto this thing or whatever, or inserting what's happening. But I found that really interesting that really the difference between the art in Dark Knight Returns and the art in like Sin City and Dark Knight Strikes Again is just the fact that Klaus, Klaus Jansen wasn't involved. Um, I miss, those, you know, I miss so, those tight inks, though. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I know you're building towards this whole, like, it's it's wild, it's kooky, it's crazy, but I, I loved the tighter inks. Uh, but keep going. I'm... Just, I'm just going to shoot you down from the sideline. <laughs> no, like, I, I don't mind it. Well, and that's the thing is this is a very, you know, this topic is, I, I don't want to say controversial because that makes it sound like there's some like issue or anything, but like... Take a side, just, Jason. A, Take a side. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, it's a commonly debated thing. And I'm, I'm definitely at this point more on the side of like really enjoying Dark Knight Strikes again and, and enjoying the kind of, you know, the strangeness of the art. Um, and I think the story is also really interesting too. I mean, it is it is enormous in in scope it is you know like operatic and huge and larger than life and fantastical um and destructive uh and i don't know i'm 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 really appreciating it i'm i'm i think i've have like 30 pages left in the story um currently but thus far i've i've really kind of enjoyed what he's doing with it uh and i've i've come to have a really big appreciation for like the amount of kind of cartooning that's going on in it um so i don't, I don't know I, I i think that uh dark knight strikes again deserves a revisit you, you're you're me. gonna have an easy time persuading me on that uh <laughs> so that's probably a good segue into my relationship with dark knight strikes again um Please. i have a really tough time remembering which title is which uh mm-hmm. dark knight returns or dark knight strikes again like that's it's russian roulette on if i'm gonna get that right um <laughs> Probably partially the reason why is the first one I read was Dark Knight Strikes Again, the sequel. I read the sequel ah. first. Um, growing up, I read lots of comics, but I didn't have that close friend that I read them with uh, a bunch. Like that, we would maybe you know we swapped a few comics back and forth, like between a couple mm-hmm. buddies, but nothing or that we talked about them but nothing big like i would say like i was minor at best and Mm -hmm. i remember walking into my local comic shop and seeing like oh this is a new thing coming out and i'm like oh cool and i read it i bought the first issue of it and it's like it was a thicker issue and Mm -hmm. read it and loved it and i was like that was great cool and i'm a kid Uh, i was a teenager whenever whenever that first came out that's how old i was (laughs) That's my great yeah. description of that. Um, nice. And I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't even know there was a sequel to it. Uh, or like, sorry, like, uh, sorry. I didn't know, A, that it was a sequel. 
take that to the and side be that the, and be yeah. that this was issue one of three. Got it. So then I had another time I walked to the shop and then there was a second and third one waiting for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, what? The story kept going. I thought it was just like an Elseworld story. Um, and I thought that it was just like really cool and great. Cause I think that the first part ends just really well. It kind of wraps itself up as yeah. I'm recalling. And yeah, so I had those, uh, you know, whatever first printings for a long time. And then I gave them away to somebody. I didn't mm. care enough and I don't want to know the value it is. Please don't tweet me. Um, <laughs> how much money I'm losing out on, I'm sure. But I just, I, I ended up getting someone else gave me a collected edition of it. And I'm like, cool. I, I'd rather see the collected edition on my shelf than the, I agree. Than the first printings. So uh, it's just easier to spy. Totally out. Agree. And it just not, looks nicer. Um, yeah. but so my first four way, I didn't have returns to compare it to. And whether or not that's a good thing, I kind of take it at, I took it at face value. I thought it was wild. I thought it was crazy, but I didn't mm-hmm. have the, the original to hold it to. And I probably would not have liked it nearly half as much if I'd had that, you know, even as a young kid, you know, you know, something better than another one. And yeah. I, and not to say that that strikes again, isn't as good, but I just was able to go in as blind and eager a fan as it possibly could be and i just read it and loved it uh and just enjoyed it so and that love has never really gone away i definitely like returns better i had to every time i say the name i have to look down to make sure i'm looking at my notes (laughs) um i definitely like returns better it's it's to me it's just a better story it's it's tighter it's less wild and goosey but to Mm -hmm. me like they're even though they're a sequel and a original story and then a sequel to it, it they just don't feel like they're connected and for and maybe that's another huge zing at strikes again but um yeah. they just they feel like they're just independent stories and it's just kind of two different things because there's such a huge time gap also in between the two even yes. inside the story there's a huge gap in between the stories so much that it doesn't really feel like one's pre-apocalyptic and one is post-apocalyptic in a way um yeah i totally agree and it's it is kind of interesting that with miller's dark knight series he's been basically doing like almost 15 year gaps in between each chapter yeah in between each sort of uh crazy (laughs) it's a lot of time um yeah and and i will say i i really think um like one one thing i i started comparing it to because i actually also at amoeba um they had a uh um, a hardcover of electra lives again which was like Miller's sort of last touching on on the character of Electra, which he created, obviously. Um, and it was kind of this oversized issue that he did. Um, I, I'm trying to remember when. I mean, this was also like sometime in the late 90s after he had kind of done pretty much everything he was going to do at Marvel. Um, but the Electra Lives Again is another series that he did with uh, without Klaus Jensen. Klaus Jensen. Um, and this was with Lynn Varley on colors, but she was doing her typical colors, painted colors like she had done in Dark Knight Returns. Um, and I think it's an interesting, uh, thing to compare because this was, I can't remember if he did this right before or right after, um, Dark Knight Strikes Again, but the art in it is also still very kind of, you know, weird. It's definitely, you know, more of the modern Frank Miller rather than the classic Frank Miller. Um, but I think it, it, as, as appearance wise, it kind of is that perfect middle ground between the art in Dark Knight Returns and the art in uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again, um, where you can see, like, okay, this is without the digital colors, but this is also still Frank Miller inking himself. Um, 
and I don't know. It's it's just like it's interesting, like kind of sort of marking this evolution. Um, and it's, I will say the one the one thing that um, I really appreciate about not only Dark Knight Strikes Again, but also Dark Knight Returns and Electra Lives Again, and a couple of the other things that Frank Miller has done, is that they were oversized like prestige format issues, right? Like Dark Knight Strikes Again, those issues are like what sixty pages, some shit like that. Yeah, no, they're 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 thick. They're enormous, uh, and. The the biggest thing that disappointed me... There are two things that disappointed me with Dark Knight 3. And I haven't finished the whole thing. I haven't even picked um, it up. But that was that they brought it back down to being like... It was either like 20 or 30 page issues. And oh. there ended up being like 8 issues of it or something like that. Yeah, no and I like the big format. Or the thicker one. The yeah, 60 page. And it, and it felt weird for the series. And obviously I think they did it like that so that they could sell you know more issues, right? Like yeah, if you were going to read Dark Knight 3 then, you know, what do we do? Have people buy eight issues of Dark Knight 3 or have them buy, you know, three issues that are more a little more expensive? Um, obviously, yeah. from a business standpoint, you stand to make more money off of doing more issues, but... Especially if you, you know it's Dark Knight 3, you can jack the price up even just for a regular 20-page, 30-page yeah. issue. You can be like, this is Dark Knight 3. This is... Yeah. It, you gotta, it was, you gotta it was read just, it. Yeah, and it's like, but the the full length of the story, I think, is almost the same exact. Uh, like, I think I bet it's within ten pages of Dark Knight Two. Um, yeah, I bet the marketing team were slapping each other on the back for that one. They're like, <laughs> yeah, let <laughs> me just double their and money. Then, and the other thing that was a little disappointing about it was was that, in uh, no offense to, I think it was Adam Kubert that did the uh, the art for um, Dark Knight Three. It could have been Andy. I, but it was I think it was John Adam. Ramita. It's not John Romita Jr. It was no John Romita Jr. did the Last Crusade, oh, um, which okay. was like a prequel to Dark Knight Returns. Cool. Okay. Okay. Thank. Okay. I'm like I'm not crazy, but I just got this John Romita Jr. thing in my head. Uh, yeah. No. So and it, it like it felt so weird because a it was co-written. It was Frank Miller and Brian Alzarello that co-wrote it, and then uh, Andy Kubert um, did the uh, the art for it. Um, you know, Frank Miller still like did backups, but like the main story was was drawn by Andy Kubert and co-written by Brian Azzarello and so that like I think that's that yeah. just felt weird to me that's why I probably didn't end up re- I know that's why I didn't end up reading it and I'm like well I want Frank Miller to draw like that's he it's not like he yeah, like he drew the first two keep going yeah and the, the whole point of like Frank Miller's Batman is that it is Frank Miller's Batman you know exactly like, is that especially the writing has always been him and in the Dark Knight you know the Dark Knight series the the art has always been him um, and so I don't know. It's just that thing, but I, I think that the biggest thing I really that I'm sort of getting at here is that one of the number one things that I appreciate about Dark Knight Strikes Again is the way because of the freedom in page count, Frank Miller really took a lot of like chances uh, in pacing. Um, it's something you see in Jonathan Hickman works a lot, where you know he'll just have like a five six page sequence that is entirely full page spreads just because he knows he has the page real estate to do that he doesn't have to worry about taking away from his story and doing that but that he can manipulate you know the the pacing through that right like if you know slowing things down and, and really making each moment bigger by doing that for certain you know effects right uh yeah i'm i'm completely on board with that stuff like just just full page spreads the entire thing and i'm i'm sure i'm really tipping my hand as a comic creator but that's i love it (laughs) i love it i can't just yeah i I want art you know because like you have this big you have this big sequence right that 
you know, because I think like obviously there's the criticism of of like full page spreads where you know like the image guys in their early days were just doing it just you know without really thinking about the story just so that they could have big pretty pictures and pages that'll sell easily. Um, but in That's terms fair. of pacing, right? Like you have this scene where Superman and Wonder Woman uh, are are making love and sort of you know like it's it's kind of this big momentous uh, moment in in the story. And to make that moment last longer and have more impact, he basically does like six full page spreads in a row of them sort of just like being affectionate throughout different like spots in the world and shit like that. But it really is effective in slowing down the story and making you feel what's going on more, you know, whereas if it was like six silent panels, you know, that would take you a fraction of the time to get through and so I think the use of those those full page spreads really kind of slows down the story. Oh my um, god, yeah. You I, know, and just I, makes it kind of effective. I couldn't agree more. The especially the the scale of Superman, Wonder Woman. Yeah. These are like the world's strongest, like the the biggest badasses on the planet. And to give them the scale of full page spreads, multiple full page spreads, I think really just gives to the is a nice maybe it's not subtle maybe it is subtle but it gives the umph of how big these characters are and how like totally. powerful they are they they deserve these kind of like the this kind of approach in storytelling because if it's like a silent uh if it's batman and catwoman i don't think that those six double page spreads is necessary i don't think it works no, but it, but it also depends on the story. I think with any story, true. it's like yeah, if true, you have a true. moment that needs true. to be big and needs to take some time for the reader, right? Like because that's the only way that you can really manipulate how long it's going to take a reader to to read something is by making them turn the page, right? Yeah. Uh, and so by adding those moments, it's just like it, it's just really effective, and you don't get that in twenty page periodical comics because you know you you have to be so mindful of the economy, and if you use you know a single page spread anywhere. You know, then that basically takes away a lot of, you know, storytelling opportunity that you have. But if there's no restriction on how many pages that your that your story can be, then you have the ability to really manipulate the time much easier. I love it when I, I get to read comics that are able to break out of the mold. Uh, yeah. And the mold is and, great. It's good. It's wonderful. I love it, but I also hate it. So I'm just yeah. Saying. And to, to tie that all back around to to today. Um, that's what I'm hoping that these DC black label books are, are going to bring to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, even though originally I was very much hoping that they would, uh, just be original graphic novels, I'm still fine with, you know, the possibility that they're going, okay, this is three issues. This is four issues, whatever. And all of them are kind of oversized and, you know, using sort of a different, um, uh, page dimensions and stuff like that, you know, and, and kind of doing different stuff. I hope that, this uh, line of books can bring some of that energy back to mainstream comics um, of just being like, yeah, our page count is going to be different. And, you know, like some issues, like with Jonathan Hickman's Black Monday Murders, some issues are going to be 60 pages. Some are going to be like 32 pages. Some are going to be whatever, like just whatever the story uh, wants, you know, or dictates um, that you'll put that in and then, you know, kind of make your decisions after that based on whatever the story needed. I think um, that that's uh, something that should always be happening. But uh, 
not necessarily it's just always and i think that yeah I, I think i think it's i think there's a healthy balance because yes. i also very much appreciate the creative challenge that it presents to really have to whittle your story down and make absolutely. sure that it fits within 22 pages absolutely um, and i was gonna say like this is probably a better format for uh, masters of the craft is they're like okay hey we're gonna take the the bumpers yeah. off or the the training wheels off and you can just do whatever you want just make it good but you know exactly yeah you go exactly. to town you, you you hated those things and you fought against them for years well now they're gone now let's see what you can do now it's a new challenge totally and that and that's exactly and i think that's why black label serves such a function you look at that creative lineup and it is all industry veterans who are you know kind of at the top of their game uh, who they're just, you know, hopefully just saying, like, yeah, do what you want. And they reeled back on that a little bit with the whole bat penis thing. Um, what which, the fuck are you talking about? Did you know? Okay, so to rewind, the first Black Label book that, that came out in their sort of new format is called Batman Damned. Um, and it's written by Brian Azzarello and drawn by Lee Bermeo, the team that did um, Batman Noel and uh, um, Luther and Joker, a couple of miniseries. Oh, um, okay, okay. Yeah, with and it's and it's a, basically a story of kind of a team up with Batman and John Constantine, um, okay. where the Joker's dead I'm and Batman's this. having to. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really cool. I like the concept. Um, anyway, so it, I don't know anything big, about that. I've heard Batman Damned. That's as far as I. That's as much as I know about it. Is the title? That's it. Got it. So so the issue behind it, or or what kind of happened is, so it's it's this oversized issue in both page size and length. I think it's like a forty page long, and then um, or it might be sixty pages long, and then it's a very like kind of large format page. Um, so it's like but in one oversized of the pages, there's printing or something. Yeah, it's just you know, it's the dimensions are just different. It's not like your standard uh, comic book pamphlet size. Um, Interesting, but the there there's a sequence where Batman's kind of stripped down, you know. Uh, mentally and emotionally and it's also expressed visually in the fact that like he takes off his armor he's kind of in the bat cave and he's just like fully naked and stripped down kind of like you know uh moving into this next phase like right i think it's a really interesting kind of transformative sequence and in that sequence when he's naked they actually show because this is a mature reader's imprint they show not even really like his full dick but they show kind of um, an outline or a, like a, a small hint of light within the silhouette of his body where you can see his dick. Mm. Um, you know, and then to comment on size and everything, like it's it's about, you know, a little, like a, about an average, a little bit above average dick. Like it's, it's a you know, he has, Bruce Wayne's got a good looking dick. Uh, Was the dick standing on the edge of a rooftop overlooking the city with a nice back sh- <laughs> back uh, backlight? Yeah, right. No, it's just he's walking in the cave and there's light behind him. It's backlit, but it still shows a little bit of the silhouette. So his dick was um, brooding. Yeah. Uh, but then, so the bat penis thing really created uh, kind of a controversy because it's the first time Bruce Wayne's dick has ever been shown, ever. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, and I'm so like, a bunch of late night shows picked it up, and like the internet was going crazy over how it. How like, did and I everyone, miss like, this? Nope. I haven't been in a coma. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was a little crazy. Um, and so the thing was, nobody was like talking about it like, you know, oh, this is terrible. How dare they do this or anything like that? Everyone was just like, oh, that's kind of funny. And like the late night shows were making jokes about it and like bat puns and whatever. But like there wasn't a negative response to it. Yeah, I don't really there was have just, a negative. I'm like, it's weird, yeah. but I'm like, I don't care. It's no, just, there was just a big response, which is what you would want, right? Like, yeah, that's you a, want people, the best this response is, is there's no yeah. controversy. It's just everyone talking everyone about it. Everyone is talking about a comic book. When was the last time that happened, right? Like, it's very rare. Normies are talking about it. Uh, 
Death of Spider-Man. That's probably it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, honestly for for most people that would be a great thing. Well, apparently not for DC. Uh, what? I th- yeah. So here's here's what I think happened. Did they forget because that the, they put the dick in there? Well, so here I think what happened is that DC or is that Lee Bermeo drew the dick there, and whoever was working in editorial didn't necessarily notice it um, because it, it is subtle fuck? enough. It's subtle enough that you might not notice it at first glance. Oh, um, and if you've great. got like a bunch of issues that you're reading and you're doing a bunch of work, if it's subtle enough and if you're, you know, catch you out in the right moment, that dick goes right through. Totally. <laughs> that dick goes right through. Um, <laughs> and so I think, it, I think it kind of slipped by unnoticed. Either that or it was like the editorial team was just like, yeah, this is a mature reader's imprint. Like, you know, we're fine to show a dick. Um you know, which is also confirmed by the fact that Sean Murphy, when White Knight was announced to be like that, that White Knight was actually going to be retroactively collected into a, a um, black label graphic novel after it was released as a regular sort of Elseworlds tale. Yeah. Um, Sean Murphy was saying that some of this stuff that got censored in the single issues was going to be uncensored for the trade. Whoa. Um, but then, but then recently uh, came out and said, no, that's actually not the case. It's, oh. it's it is going to be censored still. Um. So whatever happened, basically DC said, okay, after that big response, like within a day, they're like, you know what? We're pulling printing of uh, the current uh, printing of, of, um, of Batman Damned, and we're reissuing prints where, we, you know, where the, the penis is, is uh, fully silhouetted, so you don't 100% see it. 100% less dick in future issues. Yeah. Well, and then, and, and they also changed it on the um, digital one. So if you got it on Comixology and then you reopened it, it no longer included the penis what the uh, fuck that's crazy yeah, and then and then they came out again and we're like actually no we're not reprinting it at all we're, it, we're like we're just not reissuing uh the edition with the penis in it and when we finally collect it in trade it will be silhouetted um which also caused a frenzy so like i was somebody who bought batman damned issue one on day one and by them responding this way, the issues that were already sold from DC like went immediately up in value. Uh, if yeah. I wanted to sell that Batman Damned issue, I could probably make a good you know thirty bucks off of it right now, and it'll probably be more and more as time goes on. Hashtag Give me that um, bat dick. Yeah, but it's just this weird thing, and now DC's like, yeah, going forward, like these you know the black label books aren't going to have nudity and like all this stuff. Like it's just kind of weird because it's like, yo. Like, this is the first time in a long time. Like, even the Batman wedding wasn't this widely covered. No. Uh, this is the first time in a while that you've had, like, this much publicity around a comic and you, like, decided to 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 correct it? Yeah, especially if it doesn't sound like there was a lot of people. I mean, of course, there's going to be someone that's pissed. There's always going to be someone that's pissed. That doesn't... It's just the scale of... If yeah. It's, is it one? Is it two voices? Or is it 3,000? Is it 10,000? Is it 100,000 kind of thing? Like, you got a proportional response. And if people are responding to it and not giving such a negative backlash, I don't understand why you're overcompensating. It's the, it was yeah. a good-sized dick. Something to be not, you know, showy, but <laughs> you don't have to compensate yeah. for it. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. Everyone liked it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's just like, it was so weird that everyone just was so afraid of, of this penis. Yeah. Uh I don't and like so I, it, I don't know man. I mean story-wise I haven't read it so I can't judge the value of it but mm-hmm. as stripping away the controversy quote unquote what was your thoughts on did you think it was necessary for the story or not, not mm, let me rewind. Did you think that it added 
to the story by seeing genitals or did you think that it was unnecessary? Do you think it was a different approach or did you think that it like, what were your, what was your emotional reaction? Um, I thought it was, I thought it was neutral. And the thing is because it wasn't a focus on the page. He, he wasn't, he definitely wasn't making a point to be like, Hey, here's some dick. Uh, it was just like, it was how the lighting, like in that shot of Bruce Wayne naked in the cave, it was just how the lighting would respond. Um, and so it was very subtle. It was very tasteful. Um, and I think that the, the, the shot of him being naked, I think just like that, that sort of sequence of him being naked and stripped down definitely helped the story. Um, you know, it could have had the silhouette of the penis or it couldn't, but I think that the point of this label is that you don't have to do unnecessary censoring where you don't need to. Um, at least that was the point initially. And so I think that, I think that it was perfectly effective and, you know the the censoring of it. I just think is is entirely unnecessary, um, and I think the story itself is very interesting. Um, I I don't think this will go down as being like the best of the Black Label books, um, but I do think that it's a very very interesting series. And I think obviously just the team up of Batman and Constantine, along with Lieber Mayo's art and Brian Azzarello writing, I think is is a great overall thing. Um, and so I think this was just like they created controversy where there was none. You know, there was yeah. no controversy over Batman's dick. It was just like everyone was like, huh, they showed Batman's dick in a comic. Like, maybe I'll check that out. Um, yeah, uh, that makes me sad that you're self-censoring. And it's, I don't know, I don't get the, I just don't get the reasoning yeah. on it. And and it's, what's funny is it's in, eh, yeah, I'm going to go there. Uh, in a time when it's like, people can be very sensitive uh, mm-hmm. about things. And for no one to be really giving a shit. It just seems yeah. weird to overreact to a non-reaction. It's such a weird yeah, it combo. It's so strange. Um, and so all, all that being said, I, I'm interested to see uh, what comes from Black Label. The last time you yeah. were on the show, actually, we talked about some of the Black Label announcements. Um, you know, with Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo doing The Last Night on Earth. Um, yeah, that uh, sounds, Sean Murphy that sounds is awesome. doing. Of course. Yeah, and Sean Sean Murphy is doing a sequel to White Knight and um Yes, cool. uh, I have read Sue White Knight, but it's Sean Murphy doing Batman, so the, the Yeah, the and end. Kelly Sue DeConnick is doing a Wonder Woman story with uh Phil Jimenez and like all these other books. Like I'm, I'm excited it's not just Batman's label. own imprint. <laughs> it's good to hear that yeah. Wonder Woman can have a place there that other characters can can join the party at Black Label and it's not just Black Label presents Batman. <laughs> or Batman presents yeah, Black, and or it, Batman presents Black Label. <laughs> exactly yeah and you know frank miller's doing superman year one there and i'm hoping that they start to really branch out with characters like i'm hoping that they basically go all right black label is the place that we ask you know any creative team that really wants to do something ask them what they want to do and let them do it you know like i would love to see you know some some strange books come out of out of black label you know like and like do a weird like legion of superheroes story or you know like uh i don't know gi zombie or some shit i don't understand why they haven't made a DC Elseworlds imprint. Like, why the f- like all the best stuff is Elseworlds? Like, yeah, it's... and I think that's kind of the point of Black Label because Black Label does exist out of continuity. Really, like, well, I think I it's assume. sort of a thing, yeah. kind of like Dark Knight Returns, where it's like, you know, if we like, if 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 it ends up having a great response, then we'll just sort of retcon it into continuity. Um, yeah, exactly. But as everything exists, it is kind of outside. Like every book is its sort of its own continuity. Um, I think that's exactly how it should be. Oh man, if, totally. if they're going to do out of continuity stuff, I feel like you're going to really see some amazing things where it's just like, hey, I've got this idea. 
uh, that's just slightly out of whack. You just can't do this in your main universe. Even if you've rebooted six times, it's just not going to work in any yeah. main universe because I just want to – like this is what happens when you kill off Nightwing and he's dead, yeah. dead. Or this is what happens when this – and pretty much most of it in my head is this is what happens when you kill off this character, this core character. <laughs> um, and then just seeing how the other characters react to it. It's just it's just a slightly out of tune to a like a big canon universe thing where it's just like, yeah. oh, this thing dies or, with these two people hook up or whatever. Yeah, or even something, you know, like um, – like with White Knight, Sean Murphy's White Knight, where it's just like, no, this is what happens when the Joker goes sane, you know, or, you know, and like how that affects Batman psychologically and, and stuff like that, or just random stuff like that. Like, you know, th- that you can just tell stories that aren't necessarily, you know, that DC or any company wouldn't want because they really affect the status quo of a certain character and, and would then affect the marketability of them going forward. Um, but as its own story can be really interesting. Yeah. And I, I'm all pro for Elseworlds. And if they, if their marketing team decided that calling their Elseworlds line black label works better, then you know what? I don't give a shit. Just make those comics. Like just, just, totally. just make them. Uh, so totally. excited for that DC is actually doing this, and it seems like they've got a good sense of direction. <laughs> just not necessarily just the stumbling a little bit, which is fine. You know, we're all going to find our way. And maybe they, you know, realize a year or two later that that was unnecessary to overcompensate. And so then they re-re-recompensate. Cool stuff. It's Uh, it's interesting. And we'll see if it we'll see if it evolves past that. But yeah, I'm I'm excited for more Black Label books regardless. Fuck yeah, man. Um, uh, We'll we'll move on since we've we've been talking about Batman in general for, for, you know, 30 minutes now. Um, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with (laughs) I, I could talk about Batman always (laughs) always <laughs> yeah now that we've exhausted that resource um catch up item number two <laughs> what is it is it uh, batman <laughs> no it's not i just i just i love that we're this far into the show and this is the second catch-up item okay. um, i think this stuff will go by a little quicker Maybe. um with us doubt it <laughs> yeah we'll you see you and me we talk <laughs> it's true um I, I uh, recently read um, Rock Candy Mountain from Kyle Starks. Well, okay, for, uh, for those of us, for the listeners that don't know, wink, I don't know what the <laughs> fuck this is. What's Rock Candy Mountain? Um, well, if you listened to my interview with Robert Kirkman on episode one of Comic Book Workshop, mm-hmm. uh, he mentioned that one of the books that he really loves right now is, is Rock Candy Mountain from Kyle Starks. This is an image comics series, um, and Kyle Starks is the cartoonist uh, who uh, made graphic novels like Sex Castle and Kill Them All. Um, he also writes the Rick and Morty comics. He took over on, I think, volume three or four. Um, he's cool. kind of, he's one of these cartoonists that's very funny, uh, but also, you know, can really tell a pretty compelling story. Um his like sex castle and kill them all are both sort of homages to like 80s action films um i'm listening one of them sex castle was a a comic that's like basically an homage to kurt russell movies uh or at least that type of action movie you know like rambo and whatever um and then uh kill them all was more of a an homage to like a martial arts movie um and with uh, with Rock Candy Mountain, what he wanted to do was kind of a, a, a wushia film, which is, you know, or like these um, sort of like they're, they're still kind of martial arts movies, but they're all centered around like a, a journey or a goal. Um, and so with Rock Candy Mountain, he wanted to do sort of something that's like the American equivalent of that. Uh, and so what he came up with was a, a story about a hobo in post-World War II uh, uh, America 
who decides to um, journey after the uh, the mythical Big Rock Candy Mountain from the from the uh, folk song. Um, I don't even know so if I've heard the is, folk song. I, I feel like I'm completely disconnected from all these references, but this sounds really cool. I love where this <laughs> yeah, is going. Big Rock Candy Mountain. It's it's this sort of like folk song that was uh, always sang, you know, by a lot of hobos and stuff like that, and and people. It, it just kind of talks about. Um, it's it's about a hobo, you know, sort of journeying to this place, Big Rock Candy Mountain. That's kind of like this paradise for hobos and. You know where everything is happy, and there's trains everywhere, and the boxcars are empty. Where you can, you know, <laughs> find, like it's it's just this whole. It's there's like a this million hobo trains fantasy. in hobo heaven, and all the boxcars yeah. are empty, and they're all headed to wherever you want to go. <laughs> and so it's this story about a hobo named Jackson who just is going on this this journey, and um, a regular old guy uh, named Pomona Slim. You know, they, everyone has a hobo name. That like, is really a say super hobo name, and I love it. That is a great name. Yeah. But, and he wasn't a hobo to to begin with. He's he's this like failed actor who's just kind of like trying to escape his life for whatever reason, and ends he up wasn't entangling born into with Jackson. Yeah, and so it's he's kind of your POV character, and he's he's the person to look at Jackson and be like, "What? Who the hell is this guy? What the fuck did I get into?" Um, and Jackson is just this hobo who there's a lot of story behind him, but you don't really get any of it to begin with. It's a very much an unraveling mystery of his life. Um, but he made a deal with the devil that no one man could ever defeat him in a fight. Uh, and, you know, as deals with the devil go, there's obviously like there's the, the specific phraseology there uh, so comes send, to bear in certain two ways. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. And so there, but it's, it's a very like interesting and crazy story where you're just like every issue. The biggest thing that's most compelling about it is just trying to f- like learn more about Jackson. Um, and then obviously see if he can finally reach his goal of getting to big rock candy mountain. And, there's all this like hobo mythology and like just really interesting stuff because you learn a lot about hobos over the course of the story. Um, and what you find out, one of the things that you find out at least is that like hobos aren't like homeless people. They're not like, I mean, they are, but like they're the really the, the there's a difference between a hobo and a bum, you know, and there's a difference between a hobo and, you know, like vagabonds, people like that. Um, and a hobo is someone who's like a, a a migrant worker, a transitory worker. They're going from place to place and actually like doing jobs and doing things for income and, and contributing to society. Whereas a bum is somebody who's not doing anything. Um, and I so love it, it when it, it, something like really, kind of teaches you the different terminologies and getting into more specifics. Instead of trying to generalize one large group of people, you can be like, this specifics, this specifics, this specifics. I like specifics. Oh, totally. And there's like, you know, it shows like all these little like there's like hobo signs and stuff like that. Like they would leave markings on certain like trains or areas or whatever to like warn other hobos if there's police or anything like that. Um, And so it's I don't know. It's just a like it's a fascinating story and it's also hilarious. And I love Kyle Stark's cartooning style. Um, You know, the art is very expressive and, you know, like surreal and odd um and chris schweitzer does the coloring and and i think his colors are really really effective um it's just it's it's a great book it's like an eight issue miniseries um and it it certainly uh made me fall more in love with the work of kyle starks i definitely at some point soon i'll probably bring him on one of our shows and and talk to him about a lot of this stuff but um yeah it's it's a great series highly recommended i you sold me on it i'm gonna have to check this this out and the rest of his work (laughs) Uh, the rest of his work sounds amazing as well 
yeah i think like sex castle and kill them all are both fantastic uh, sex castle is is one of the most enjoyable stories i've read in a while i it's one of the few graphic novels that i sat down to read it and didn't get up until i finished mm, um, love that feeling that's so like just yeah. like i'm riding this ride from start to finish and i'm not stopping yeah man it's it's a burner like you just you just keep flipping pages like you're just going you're you're fully in the story um which i love fuck yeah man that's I, awesome what's another thing i did was i saw the movie uh the sisters brothers have you seen the trailers for this at all no what where like it just shows <laughs> it just really like i love coming on this show and it <laughs> adequately describing how much of a hole that i live in uh but i guess i'm a good pov character <laughs> like, the best pov character because i'm like there you go i'm gonna you discover, just don't know anything You're i don't know a, anything an and i'm going through my discovery newborn baby yes covered in in uh in in goo for the record um, i have movie pass and i go and see tons of movies and so i see lots of trailers oh, and this is shocking okay Shit. i i actually i just ditched my movie pass i joined um because movie pass has been really weird and inconsistent for the last little while oh yeah uh, i'm gonna be ditching it next month absolutely yeah i joined um cinemia which so i'm is, writing this down cinemia i was service. to say i'm like i gotta do some research and finding out who my my new yeah. home is because I, I love the concept i just feel like they're fucking it up and uh yeah they exactly they kinda, the same they made thing. some mistakes yeah like uh, so i'm gonna sorry i'm gonna i'm gonna take over for a second what uh, are you getting the thing with movie pass where it only lets you go into like two showings a day for two random things that you don't want to see it's only it's only yeah i mean it's like you yeah only two sh- like it'll it'll be like maybe two showings will actually show up that you're able to do and obviously you can only see one movie a day um, and it's only but, but is it specifically of- just one movie like you can only see that movie it's not like you can see one movie Basically. a day it's just like no you can your only option today and all week and all month is this one shitty movie that you have no that no one wants to see but you got that's yeah, your only been- choice welcome to movie pass yeah, they've been blacking out tons of times and yeah, shows. Yeah, like 80%, and, and, or, sorry, like 95% of showings are blacked out. Like for movies yeah, that you haven't seen, they are like, yeah, it's no, awful. you can't see it. Yeah, it's horrendous. It got really awful. Yeah, um, that's, that's not a, but, a thing, so. Cinemia yeah. is nice because it's literally like it works at any theater. It's, you know, and, and it's a little more limited in how many movies you can see, you know, per month or whatever. But I think it's 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 worth it. It's kind of the happy medium that people were sort of searching for after MoviePass started failing. Um, where this one I think is a bit more sustainable. Yeah, um, and I don't mind paying so. like a little bit more, having less options. And there was, you know, when losing ground with Movie Pass, I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's, that's not great. I don't feel good about that, but I'm still getting my money's worth. Still getting my money's worth. Mm, nope, not anymore. We are done. Yeah. And it's it's Cinemia with an S for people wondering. I might just throw my referral code in the show notes for this episode, just if people uh, want to sign up. Oh, do you get a bump when people use your referral code? Yeah, I think it's like you get five or ten bucks like credit on there or something like that. Sweet, yeah. Um, yeah throw me that referral code uh, in the show notes, and I'll 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 use you. Because uh, no, I bu- any, I bought an annual listeners. pass thing for Movie Pass, so I only pay- I got lucky with like a Christmas thing. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good call then. So, but uh, my thing lasts till next month, and so then nice. Once that's, I'm not re-upping. I'm axing that shit hard uh yeah movie pass was really dope while it lasted but then it just got super shitty because they their investors got really chickened out uh yeah and i think they could have if they if they had stuck it through if they had been if their investors had been able or willing to uh keep them floating for another like three or four months i think they would have gotten to the point where they could have held movie theaters by the balls and said yo we account for you know 20 percent of your market share 
like cut us in on your profits otherwise you're losing 20 percent of your customers yeah exactly um, i don't understand why they didn't do ads on their app either i don't like ads i hate them with a burning yeah, passion they but were they, they were done. trying they were trying to do stuff like that but they just were never able to fully successfully do it and it's also because amc really launched like an anti-movie pass campaign didn't they um, also launch their own pass yeah, which is their their own thing is still pretty good. My only thing was that I didn't want to just be tied down to AMC theaters. A because I only have one you know, near me that's not near me. That's it. Yeah, I have like I have like one or two, but it, the thing is like you get a limited selection of movies at AMC. They tend to go way more toward like the big blockbusters than they do for kind of the smaller films. Um That's stupid. Yeah, but but I have been tempted to do to do the AMC one before just because it, you get a little bit more movies per month than you do with uh, Cinemia. Yeah, but, yeah, but I like anyway. the option of if I'm out of the area or whatever, I can go yep. to any theater. Anyways, yeah, it's it's Cinemia is great because they just give you like a, a card number and stuff, and then you can just use Fandango or whatever like movie ticketing oh, app and just buy go. a ticket from whatever theater you want. Boom, um, easy peasy. Yeah, I like it's, this. it's pretty good. I like it. Okay, well, Cinemia. Thank you. I know that that yeah. really was actually going to have to be depreciating that stuff, and I, I much prefer uh, oh, someone that's actually paying for it as well and you know enjoying the <laughs> service. That's cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Um, but anyway, the Sisters Brothers. Uh, that's it's right. A, <laughs> it's it's a western uh, movie starring uh, um, Joaquin Phoenix and uh, John C. Riley. Uh, along with Riz Ahmed and um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Wait, no, I did actually see a trailer for this. Uh, this is a comedy, right? Or no, is there comedic I, elements? I wouldn't say it's a comedy. For, sorry, um, it, there are definitely huge comedic elements. I'd say this movie falls into the tone of a lot of uh, Coen Brothers movies, almost where it's cool, like it's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah that's it, right, it's that's... funny, but it's also like severe, and you know, like it'll make you laugh, but it'll also make you be like, oh fuck. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. And Maybe. so it, it's it's fantastic. I could not recommend the Sisters Brothers enough. I think this is the best Western movie I've seen since like 310 to Yuma. Maybe. Whoa. Um, okay. That's. Uh, yeah. I love that movie. So okay. Cool. It's great. And John C. Riley is. It's one of those times where you're like, man, John C. Riley, you're a pretty good actor. Like, what are you doing in Will Ferrell movies all the time? Like, you forget that he he's... started as a drama actor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is like, because he's in this movie next to people like Joaquin Phoenix and Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed, like all these people who are like Academy Award and Emmy nominated actors, uh, you know, or I think one or two of them have won Academy Awards or Emmys, um, you know, but it's like, this is, this is a very like, this is a film full of serious actors and dude holds his own. And I mean, the story is just, it's fantastic. You know, it's basically, you know, the, the sisters brothers, um, uh charlie and eli sisters uh are like these sort of i don't know if they're hitmen or bounty hunters i think they're hitmen um that are on the trail of riz ahmed who's this chemist who's basically come up with a unique formula for um prospecting gold out of rivers and stuff like that um and you know basically their their boss uh eli and charlie's boss rutger howard actually uh you know wants this guy because of his secret or whatever um and so it's just a very simple thing you know jake gyllenhaal kind of plays the role of um he's this tracker that is that is kind of on the trail of riz ahmed so that he can update the sisters brothers and let them know where he is so they can come and get him um but it's just it's it's i don't know all overall like it's a super fantastic film and it's funny and the action is amazing i think the sound design was really bold and cool like each gunshot really has a lot of impact 
Um, I love that. I love when guns like less is more, but also make yeah, exactly. Like this is a gun. Like this isn't just like a hop, pop, pop, pop. It's fun. Uh, It's just like yeah, you where you feel like a kick in your chest when a gun goes off. Like that's like yes, this is what a gun should be. It should be violent and aggressive and terrifying. Yeah. Um, and so it, it was, it was just overall a great movie. I can't recommend it enough. If you can, if you get the chance to see it while it's still in theaters, definitely go see it. Uh, well, um, thank you, Cinemia, for <laughs> maybe helping with that. Have you, have you seen Venom? No. Uh, A, because of the movie pass thing, and B, it's just, uh, I, I, I love Venom so Don't. much, it hurts to think about even pretending to go see a movie that's half done right and to me it's it's going to take a lot for me to to want to see and maybe you can change my opinion maybe you'll reinforce it but it's venom is so closely tied to spider-man how do you make a venom movie that's good and take spider-man out of it i I, i'm not saying it can't be done because anything could be done right maybe but it's just that immediately just uh and then i saw tom hardy said something about like his favorite 40 minutes of the film got cut and so i was just like well there there we go okay we're done uh so did you see it i did see it and apparently apparently that whole 45 minutes thing apparently that was tom hardy just fucking with people which he does a lot i assumed that there was i'm like 40 minutes 40 minutes it's not like that's i was like that's bold i was like if he said four minutes i that's a lot easier to believe but 40 minutes what is it an 80 minute film now like this is uh, no i I thought that that was a little bold and i I didn't know exactly if that was 100 percent. okay so he's just fucking with people he was fucking with people um i will say i expected i went in expecting venom to kind of be hot garbage okay um you know i i was walking in it was like obviously like the the you know the whole like you know no spider-man in it um you know the fact that like people like the rotten tomatoes rating had already you know like reviews had already come in and it, I, I don't know what the, wasn't. i don't know what the rating is on rotten tomatoes it's not great um <laughs> the critics the not critics good. haven't loved it okay uh but here's what i'll say first off this movie is funny really like yeah and it looks like this kind of dark brooding like you know whatever thing but it is actually very funny um I think that this movie is not at all what people expected. And I think that is part of the reason why it has such a low critic rating. Um, but here's here's one thing I'm going to point out. It has an 89% score of uh, audiences. On Whoa! Whoa! Yes. And that is a movie that fans did not want to like. Like you know because you, you see it with like you know random uh, there's a lot of films out there that like will come out you know um fantastic four i think being an example but a lot of different comic book films where if they you know fans perceive the character isn't being done justice to then they'll just like bomb the rotten tomatoes rating on purpose you know um the same thing happened the with fantastic Last Jedi, four right? thing is completely justified by the way that's a yeah. terrible movie uh i saw i, I disagree with parts i i think that there were i think that there were good parts of that let movie, me rephrase the, same the first 20 30 minutes of the film is perfect and then yeah right down the fucking like the fastest switch from good to shitty i have seen in a long time like it's yeah i think as soon as it does that time jump then it loses itself and especially the third act is awful in fantastic four but i really liked the first half the first act Um, is is the perfect 
it's it is a perfect Fantastic Four opening. It feels amazing. You're getting all these character development things, and then yeah. it just someone hit the eject button hard, and I feel like that might have like a Suicide Squad editing post thing where they're like, "We're gonna need to do these changes because oh, reasons." Yeah, well, they, yeah, they reshot they reshot the fuck out of that movie. Yeah, um, so it, yeah, and that's a whole other story. That's a whole other but story. Here's here's what I'll say. So Ruben Fleischer, the director, um, he is one of my favorite directors. He directed Zombieland uh he's like some of his movies haven't been great like gangster squad wasn't great um two night stand was eh. uh 30 minutes or less i actually enjoyed but like Zombieland is one of my favorite movies i think it's my favorite zombie movie um wow he also directed episodes of like the santa clarita diet um oh. and stuff like he's i, like I think he's show. a good director um but this movie was crazy funny it was like it was pretty wacky and fun to me it felt like it had the heart of the really zany and like off the wall 80s action movies but done with modern sensibilities you liked this you know movie what I mean? you liked it i did i had a really good time man um <laughs> like, the that's, third act i think, say that without enjoying it that's crazy yeah i think i think the third act like started to kind of fall into some generic stuff however the interaction between um, Eddie Brock and the symbiote is like one of my favorite character interactions of anything uh, in oh, the last like, year or so. You're selling me on this. I can't believe I'm getting stoked for this movie. <laughs> I'm so easily <laughs> <really> swayed. <laughs> and I, I thought I thought that the story would really be negatively affected by not having um, not having Spider-Man in it. But it really didn't like it didn't feel like there was anything missing from it with that. Um, you know, it's a different type of origin. Yeah, but it's it not, has to be. It's not really that far off course when you think about like the character of the symbiote. Um, oh, no, you know, no one and, really talks about the symbiote as a character very often, and I, no I like one this. Asks how the symbiote's feeling? No, exactly. Hashtag. <laughs> how, where are my symbiotes at? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's I, I don't know it, like it really I think it was a really effective movie. Um, there is one of the post credits scenes is kind of ridiculous in a, in one specific way, and I think anyone who sees it will understand what I'm talking about, especially in regards to Sideshow Bob. Um, but you know, and, and there are a couple of little things here and there in the movie that you look at and you're like, man, that is like that is a bit tropey and played out or whatever. But overall, I think the the biggest highlight of this film is the humor. And it's the action scenes, like especially the action scenes in the second act. They are so well shot and so visceral and just like they they fucking move. Um, and I, I really I came out of that movie like just being like, yeah, there were a couple things that I thought were cheesy and dumb, but I had a freaking great time. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think that I think that people should see it. And I mean, it's doing crazy well at the box office, um, you know, and so it, it'll it'll I'm sure get at least a sequel or two. Um, wow. I think the the biggest the biggest way that I think they shot themselves in the foot um, is that so Sony was kind of hoping that with this movie it would do really well and people would like it so that then Marvel Studios would be like okay fine we'll include Venom in our cinematic universe right yeah I don't see the logic there but keep going well I, the logic is basically look we're already splitting Spider Man with Marvel Studios. Uh, and so if we make our own Venom movie and it does really well and people love it, then maybe Marvel goes, okay, like that does so well that we still want to keep the brand similar. Oh. And at some point we want to do a symbiote story 
please you know, Marvel we'll Studios, please, yeah, please, because there's nothing, there's it's nothing so in the movie that contradicts. Here. Let me in. Exactly. <laughs> there's. There's nothing in the movie that contradicts this existing in the MCU, right? Like they just there's nothing in it that you would go, "Oh, well, because of that this couldn't exist in that world." Gotcha. Um, you know, the timeline would be a little weird cuz this would obviously have to have existed before Infinity War. Um, but ah, you know, I, I don't know. I, well, I think okay. it was just a very I think it was a very effective movie um and very fun and it'll be it'll be tough for them to like continue it on especially i well i think it would be even more tough for them to continue it on if spider-man does get into the picture because then it really complicates the dynamic between venom and eddie brock um you could do a story where you know venom starts to get like venom starts pining after spider-man almost and wants to be with him and eddie brock gets jealous or weird or whatever um like you could do that kind of dynamic which would be different than the comics but i think you could still make effective uh, but it does just kind of change some things going forward if it does involve itself in the Spider-Man mythos. Um, Interesting. But as its own standalone movie, it's great. And there's like some really cool like body horror aspects to it. Um, uh. And it just, I don't know, it does it does everything at certain points. And I, it's, it's, I don't know, I, I hope it doesn't get a bad rap. Like I hope people actually give it a chance. I didn't, but maybe I will now. You didn't? I didn't. Maybe. I was like, fuck that shit. <laughs> I, I, I passed yeah. hard on that and i wasn't seeing I, I, you're the first anything but again i didn't go looking for it so i really needed to kick my yeah. door in uh to persuade me because i'm such a big fan of the character that i just wanted it to be done right and it's in taking away spider-man mm. but uh i'm willing to uh i'm a, i'm open to new ideas as long as they're good that's it's, yeah, it's totally. just, like if you're gonna do something new and different which is the immediate thought of everyone that wants to do a superhero movie that isn't marvel studios let's do something new different and crazy oh like this is super like this is batman cool let's give him some superpowers uh let's uh, it's yeah. like this is superman let's take away his powers like that's their immediate thought is let's take this established character and then do everything completely different with them well then you just mm-hmm. made a new character i don't understand what's the point uh, yeah and it, it totally takes away the point of the character i totally agree yeah exactly but if you are going to do that just make sure you are sticking to the the core of the character and the best parts of the character i think those two yeah, it, th- elements are important and that's the thing too is i think the whole like it's it's it goes back to my my overarching point in life it, it, that plot is not important mm. uh you know and that character and story are the most important things but plot is just a vehicle through which to convey character and story and so, like, plot is very, very flexible. Um, and so I think from the aspect of, like, you take away Spider-Man, you change the character. I honestly don't really think Venom is that reliant on Spider-Man as a character, as the symbiote, as, like, the origin of that thing. I don't think it's reliant on needing Spider-Man. I think that's just how the story was told originally. But it doesn't, it doesn't take anything away from what that character is if Spider-Man's not involved. Um, I also think he can also be too dependent on Spider-Man. Absolutely, absolutely, he can. Uh, and I, I love their dynamic, but I feel like if it's, I have mixed feelings. I feel like feel like sometimes that Venom got too big, and that he needed to always be a villain. Uh, yeah, but he's also interesting as an antihero. But eh, we'll see. Anyways, we we can we can move on for Venom because that's another character I could talk about yeah. forever. Yeah, I agree. Um, now there is another another movie that I saw that I think relates to Venom uh, in a in a fun way, which is called Upgrade. Um, 
Where are you seeing I, all I, this movie? Cinemia, thank you for <laughs> making me look like an asshole, and thank you, MoviePass, even more for making me look like an asshole. Uh, this yeah. is, what is what is this again? The upgrade? It's called Upgrade. I've started calling it uh, Cyber Venom. Um, <laughs> it's it came out a few months ago, so I actually watched it at home. Um, but it's basically it's a story about this guy who who uh, you know basically gets completely paralyzed through a car accident, um, and then is sort of given this this sentient chip computer chip that uh like allows him to walk and and function again and is actually like basically makes him into a superhuman um and it's it's it's, it like literally has its own voice and like does all this stuff and so it's basically like venom except he doesn't have a lot of sludge and stuff like that and it's a computer um it does sound like venom and not that yeah but it does it does kind of turn yeah. into like this revenge story and stuff like that and so I think they're very they're two very similar movies and I think Upgrade was also really fantastic it was done for a pretty small budget um That's always cool and it even hear. stars it even stars the Tom Hardy look alike um Yeah I was going to say uh, this what, guy kind of looks like Tom Hardy meets Henry Cavill like it's Yeah you know, what, what is his name um Logan Marshall Green I think is his name Your ability to retain names is mind-boggling. And my ability to not (laughs) retain names is also mind-boggling. But that's cool. Logan Marshall Reed. Is that what you said? Marshall Green. See? I already lost it. (laughs) Uh, Um, That looks cool. You you enjoyed it? Yeah. That was a fun time. I think it's a good one to watch, like, almost as a companion piece to Venom to see how, like, there can be two very similar stories done in two separate ways. Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting to have, like, oh, we're going to go the techie version versus, like, the sci-fi fantasy version yeah cool man man. what's uh what's the next piece of biz on this agenda uh i so i i wanted to segue over into into your catch-up pretty soon but i do just want to quickly mention i did see a star is born and i also saw a simple favor Um, i i have seen one of these i saw which one did you see i saw a star is born a couple nights ago what did you think of it uh it made me cry uh, a lot and uh mm. it's a very sad depressing movie also a very hopeful and positive movie and how it does both is mind-boggling to me um yeah uh, did you did you see that end thing coming at all uh a hundred percent uh i called it i literally out loud 10 to 15 minutes before it happened and that's also why it shook me up so much was the just watching it unfold mm. and it's like I'm, watching a slow car accident type uh-huh thing. and uh it just uh, i'm more emotionally vulnerable these days uh so it's that's fair uh it's a little hard for me to watch that kind of stuff and it's uh yeah it, 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 it done shook me up it was also really just well done it's a really well acted movie I, I thought it was a great movie and yeah what did you think I, I definitely got uh, some sweaty eyes at certain parts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I do think the ending was a little telegraphed. Um, yeah. That being said, it still it still made its impact, and it's also like that that type of ending is a thing that I've definitely um, I've written into a couple of different things that I've written before, just because it is it's also a thing that's like you know played a big part in my life and the lives of a lot of people around me. Yeah. Um, and and so it was a thing that like yeah you see it coming however i think it was still poignant and um, it felt true to the character for sure absolutely like, yeah it, i think that's it, why it, it was totally, so the telegraphing it was just like this is it just felt real yeah it made sense um yeah you know and and i think that um 
I think that it was a very well done movie. Obviously, like the music was incredible. Yeah, I think Bradley Cooper about made that. the yeah. Woo. yeah. Bradley Cooper made the right choice in not doing his own singing because whoever was singing his stuff was incredible. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize that he didn't do the singing because uh, they. Yeah, yeah. They wow, the, that singing was amazing, and uh, I'm glad it, mm-hmm. it was well executed. Uh, sorry, keep going. You, you you probably have more to say about it than I do. I I loved it. No, you're end. you're good. I. I really, I just thought, you know, and, and Lady Gaga, I think, was, um, you know, she was very impressive as an actor. And I was people about to say, are, like, yeah, talking what about a this. great actress. I didn't even think about it for a second. I, I didn't even realize it till just now. I'm like, you're right. Was this the first movie that she's done? Because holy fucking shit, she nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and people are talking about this like this is her debut. It is the first movie she's done, but it's not the first thing she's done. She was in um, American Horror Story for a season. Yeah, she was so also she had, in the Dick in the Box about. music video. That's a good one. That's true. That's true. A huge performance there. Um, but no, she was but she was fantastic. She was fantastic as an actress, and I yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed her performance. Yeah, and it um, felt like she was also touching on. It felt really real her performance because I feel like this is things that she's also had issues with herself as her image, mm-hmm. and like they, I feel like they they based the character basically on her as a per, yeah, as a it person. Really, it, it did feel like there was no one else that could have played that role. Yeah, exactly. So no, was, I I really enjoyed that, and I just mm-hmm. like how fucked up uh, his character was. Like, it's just yeah. like he came in damaged and tried to work on stuff, and it yeah. just it felt like a, a good character. Like there was the, the flaws were they never shied away from them, and they didn't like overplay them either. And it felt like a real person that had multi dimensions. Yeah, and it, it did a great job of, I think, um, really showing what can, like, showing the cycles of abuse. Because this this is the thing you encounter a lot, is that people will be in relationships where the good times can be so good that it makes them um, really, tr- like, they, they try, I think, too hard most of the time to look past the bad times. Yeah, I've been, um, I've been there personally. It's it's Yeah, and... and people get stuck in these cycles of abuse and, and you can understand why watching a movie like this, you go, wow, like, you know, when they are working, when it's on, when they're really like gelling and the things are good, they're great. You know, they're amazing. Um, and it does almost make you forget about when things are bad and, and what happens. And, and, you know, I I think it was, I think, yeah, I, I, overall just a a really well executed film. You know, it's, it's not like one of the best movies I've ever seen or anything like that, but I I do think it was really well executed. Yeah, and then this is uh, was it Bradley Cooper's debut directing? I think so. Yeah, it was great. I did a good yeah, job. Totally. I thought it was a good movie, and I, I definitely recommend it to people. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's long, but it's enjoyable. And I honestly think the length it needed that length because some of the parts of the movie are so fucking fun, and you really need to have those to really understand how hard the hard parts are. Is when you have those yes. good times. Exactly what you just said. Because the good times are so good, and you spend so much time on the good times, but it's not just like this abrupt switch either. Yeah, it's like it's a real life, and it's a real. It felt real uh, with the people yeah, and, and just the and life. The lived. music is totally, and the, the music is like magical in that movie. It functions so well. I need to get the soundtrack because honestly, I was like in my head. I've I've been singing some of those songs since the same. Uh, it's so fucking good. I'm like, are those original pieces for the movie? Because holy shit. Like that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh yeah, that's a great movie. What was the other one that you saw? You said you saw Star is Born and what was the other one? 
I didn't see the other uh, one. A Simple Favor, which was like a thriller directed by Paul Feig, starring um, Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. Mm, yeah, I didn't. Oh, wait a minute. Fuck, I did see this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I forgot the title. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's the, the two friends? Yeah, it's the two friends, and, and Blake Lively is kind of this mysterious woman who goes missing, and Anna yeah, Kendrick's kind this. of trying to piece yeah. it together. Finally, I got um, some things that I can contribute. Keep going. You you talk though. What, what did you think? Yeah, and I, I don't want to get too deep into this one, but it's just it's it yeah. was. I think it was a fine movie. It was it was pretty good and it was interesting and and compelling for me. Um, but there was also just like weird breaks in logic in certain parts, like character logic, and um, I thought that there didn't really end up being a single likable character in this movie. I think that like a couple of characters started out as being really likable and interesting. And then by the end of it, you're like, I kind of hate all these people. Like, I think they're all terrible people, um, which could be interesting and all that stuff. Like not everyone needs to be likable in any movie, but I think that it is helpful usually when there's at least one character that you're rooting for. Who's our hero, Whereas basically. I, <laughs> yeah, because I kind of just wanted all of these people to die by the end. Like I really did. I was just like, man, can can all all you know like there's kind of three principal characters and i kind of wanted all three of them to just fucking bite it like i didn't like any of them by the end of it um however i do think that like some of the twists uh and kind of turns of the story were were pretty well done and i didn't see a lot of it coming um and so it was i think it was still a a pretty effective mystery um i do think that like working in this genre is something paul feig will struggle to do because he is such a comedy writer, and I think that when you're writing a comedy, the logic of your characters doesn't necessarily need to be as strong because the most important thing is the laugh. Um, yeah, exactly. Whereas in this, the mystery really kind of needs to hold up, and the the plot does play a more important factor. That being said, I do still think that plot is overrated. Um, but there are certain things like you need to make sure your decisions are making sense and that your cops are acting like cops would. And that, you know, if there is a detective on the case of a mystery or a murder or whatever, that they would do the things that a detective would do and not make really, really dumb mistakes that detectives do not make, you know, just in simple detective work. Um, but again, that being said, there were still a lot of, I think, great things in this movie that were really well done. What about you? What did you think? I mean, I'm I'm pretty much an echo chamber for everything you said. Uh, it's 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 weird because like it's it's well done and it's well executed but it also has a lot of fundamental flaws uh that are really yeah. weird and i'm the same way like i walked out of the theater i'm like what the fuck did i just watch i don't know how to mm-hmm. like categorize it um i thought the performances were great from everyone especially is it blake lively is that you said her name is What's yeah blake lively was the one who went missing anna kendrick is kind of your yeah, POV okay, yeah. character yeah uh blake lively did a phenomenal job as that character like she was great but at the end of the day i'm like i just don't understand what the fuck i'm watching i feel like it was like gone girl (laughs) but just i feel like both of those directors and or writers were in the same class given the Mm -hmm. same kind of premise and one made a better film uh and one made a great one made a great film and one made a film that i was just like a little confused about because it just doesn't I don't want to shit on it because I'm not trying to shit on it. And I think that it's, there are a lot of amazing things that they did and a lot of good things and all sorts of things, but just coming together as a whole, as a cohesive thing, I don't know mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to have felt. 
Yeah, and that that's kind of the thing is that with Gone Girl, you know, and that's obviously like being a David Fincher film, um, you know, and obviously like Gillian Flynn or Gillian Flynn, I don't know how she pronounces her name, but um, I think she's a, a good novelist and I think her screenplay was good for Gone Girl. But obviously, like you see the directorial differences between Paul Feig and uh, and David Fincher. And obviously, like for somebody like Paul Feig to even hold a candle to Fincher in this genre would would be, you know, it just is an absurd expectation because fincher has been working in that type of genre for so long and is one of the you know true modern masters whereas paul feig has been in comedy this whole time you know and and so you know to to expect anything similar from it would would you know be hard but that's the thing is that you make this movie that is very much you know it is marketed and sold as very similar to gone girl um you know and so it's those comparisons are going to be there and with those comparisons there it definitely just doesn't doesn't quite hold up yeah, and um, I, I definitely would. I just, it's one of those I just don't know how to feel afterwards, and because I, I there were so many things I liked and so many things I struggled with. Uh, yeah. So yeah, very similar reaction to you, uh, which makes yeah, me feel better I, that I had that reaction because I'm like I just don't know what I'm looking at here, and it's everyone did a great job, but just it didn't quite become more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, totally. And and I think Jessica Scharzer, who was the, the writer of the screenplay, I think that she's a pretty good uh, writer. Like, I thought Nerve was a very interesting uh, interesting movie. And obviously, she, she wrote um, a few episodes of American Horror Story um, and Star and a couple of shows. Like, I think she is a good writer. And uh, word on the street is that she's that there's something going on with her in the comic book genre. But because that's not anything out there, I'm not going to go any further than that. Um, but... And so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what that thing ends up being uh, in the comic book genre, which I think ties in a little bit to something that we've talked about on this episode. But that's 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 the only tease I'll give you. Yeah, it's um, a little, I like the speculation and the ooh, Jason. No, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, it's there. There's definitely a thing going on, but I just there's there's like nothing out in the open about that. So I'm I'm choosing my words carefully. <laughs> nice um, okay well, well we'll keep keep an eye out uh, a further point of that is something that i can finally talk about uh oh, what do you got well th- actually there's i guess there's two things i can finally talk about on this episode what do you got? um the first one i want to talk about is titans uh is I, the dc so the, app thing yeah it's the dc universe original show titans and this is another thing that i think people wanted to hate um is it out however i it the the first episode just came out um oh, i didn't even know the app I, had launched oh man. yeah the app launched a few weeks back um that hole just keeps getting deeper yeah you're, uh, really, you're really in a cave i really am uh keep going um i don't know Let's so go. i may or may not have seen the uh locked version of this episode uh about i don't know two three months ago may or may not have who knows um and now that it's out in the open, I can finally talk about it. And I did watch the the DC Universe finished version. And what I will say is uh, that this the finished version I think is a little better than what I had seen. Okay. Um. And I, that being said, I liked what I had seen already. Um. There is a scene. The final scene in this episode was not in that previous version. Um. And I think it it makes it work even better to have that final scene in this episode um anyway what i will say is this episode was fantastic no well okay hold on not fantastic but 
I think, really, really good. And I think it is building towards a very good series. I think that this first episode, this pilot, will probably go down as maybe the least strong of this first season. And if this is the weakest episode of the first season, then I think this first season is going to be fantastic. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm, I definitely want to take a peek at that. Uh, I'm very curious what they're yeah. going to do. I'm hoping that if DC can pull itself away from networks, that somehow the magic wizards inside the process make their shows better. That said, their CD, CW shows are enjoyable for the most part for the first couple seasons, and then they tank. I yeah I and I I think that I th- so that, I mean there there's a, a few sort of things here and I'm I'm also going to choose my words carefully with certain things but um f- first off just just to say I think Titans like the it got very overblown the whole fuck Batman thing and like people were talking about how it's like you know trying to be super edgy and all that stuff I don't I know think what are you, we what are we talking about now there's a there's a spot in the show that was shown in a trailer where Robin says fuck Batman um, uh, who gives a shit Batman should be pissed yeah. at but. Robin should be pissed at Batman most of the time. That's a great dynamic. Yeah, and it's exactly the dynamic here is that Robin, this is like, you know, in the animated series when Nightwing or when Robin leaves Batman and becomes Nightwing and goes, you know, off somewhere else like yeah. to Bloodhaven and whatever. This is basically existing in that moment. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't, I definitely do not know this, so don't hold this as any kind of insider information or anything like that. I do not know this. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the first season he becomes Nightwing. Um, and he, Nightwing was on the Titans, so this is yeah, that all works and that makes sense, and then it makes room for yeah. other Robins to come along uh, if they yeah. want. Uh, which well, Rob- they, I, they are mm-hmm. Sorry, they yeah. are having Jason Todd in this show. Oh snap! Uh, I was gonna say, yeah. so who is this Robin? Is it, uh, it so this is Dick Grayson? Oh, it's and, Dick. Okay, as, as it and the be. story. Yeah, and the story exists basically in a in a point in time where Robin has left Batman and that he's sort of starting his own life in Detroit as a detective for the police force. Um, but he's still robbing about and he's still like hunting down child abusers and people like that. And so there's this big fight sequence where like he maims the shit out of some dudes. Uh, and it's honestly, it is like an amazing fight sequence. If all of their action sequences are done this well, then at the very least, this will be worth it for the action sequences. Fuck yeah. Um, okay. I'm, I'm but he, like, he really messes some dudes up, but they are child abusers, so it makes sense. You know what I mean? I'm I'm fine with this. This story sounds... Yeah, it sounds good so far. I don't know what the... It's really cool. So what was the and backlash with the whole fuck Batman thing? Where people were just like, why should people Robin... were just like, oh my god, Robin would never say that, yada, 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 whatever. Of course like, he would say on, that. Guys. Have you not yeah, read the comics? Like, anyone close to batman is definitely going to have some resentment toward batman like he's an abusive person <laughs> exactly like he's he's not a great father figure i'm sorry it's, yeah no it, and it makes sense for this part of his life like he's just left batman out of obviously like some big contentious like disagreement between the two of them and so of course he's going to be mad at batman like you know, I, I do agree that in the moment, like, the line is a little gratuitous, like, you know, of him saying that out loud. It's just like, okay, whatever. But it's not, like, a big If it's delivered well, then thing. it works. And yeah. if it's a teenager or early 20-something, that's angstville for sure. So, yeah, yeah like, that's that sounds perfect. I don't, I'm fine with that. It's fine. And I, I think the costumes are amazing. I think there was a lot of controversy about Starfire as well. And like I, Starfire is my favorite character in this show for sure. Uh, is she wearing a NASA shirt she has, or is it uh, revealing or is it um, a third thing? 
She kind of has a born identity thing going on in this. Uh, she's not identity? sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's not sure who she is, and she kind oh. of wakes up in media red. Like, she, she wakes up with, like, kind of crazy shit happening around her, and... You know, people like when people first saw the set photos of her and stuff, like they were talking about how she looks like a prostitute and things like that. Uh, And one thing I'll say, like that dress and the the crazy outfit that she's wearing, like that's not like her uniform. It's what like it it 100% makes sense with like where she's at when we meet her and like what she's doing. I hate set Um, photos and I hate leaked stuff because it's like there's no context. There's no after effects Every, there's no editing like you don't know if this cut is being kept or not most takes are not kept like i don't mm-hmm. understand fucking people in there let's, let's examine something before it's done mentality yeah like let's let's taste the cake before it's finished cooking of course it tastes terrible like just yeah exactly jesus christ you see a lot of this stuff without context and it's like yeah without context it doesn't make any sense but That's like story how many is, movies context yeah it's like how many movies you love if you were to see like a set photo from like in the middle of the second act of that movie then you'd be like oh why why are they wearing that that looks fucking dumb and it's like well yeah duh cuz you didn't see why they're wearing that or why they're doing that thing like duh reminds me of like you don't have the story i feel like carrie um, fisher or someone maybe mark hamill i think it was carrie fisher though was talking about seeing star wars in theater for the first time and didn't know about the scroll didn't know about like the music and just like it's like shotgun blast in their face of like how big this was going to be of just not just like totally. not, not the fame but like just the the movie itself of just the of the whoa this movie's amazing kind of thing and just mm-hmm. like whoa uh i just that's you don't see that on when you're sitting by the catering table at the B site of some yeah. shoot location and you're half in makeup. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're on your phone. Like, it's, it doesn't, I don't understand. People are obsessed about examining and digesting and spitting out something before it's even finished. And I just don't get the reasoning behind it. Don't you want to enjoy it? I don't understand. Yep, exactly. I, I'm, anyway, all that to say, like, I really, really like this first episode, and cool. I can't wait to see the the next episode, which is Hawk and Dove. Um, Ooh, okay. The people uh, that's a- the people that I know who work on this show are basically the the consensus from from what I've heard is that this show takes off around like episode three, um, and so I'm I'm stoked. And there there is like one or two sort of spoilerish things uh that mm. happen later in the show that i'm very excited about and i haven't seen but i'm super okay. looking forward to see them oh okay i'm like don't drop spoilers for me i don't want them i'm not dropping any spoilers no okay, cool. but there's just there's things that i can't wait to see uh hawk and dove is because interesting because i don't i've never really like liked the characters but i feel like there's mm-hmm. a lot of potential with those characters yeah uh so i feel like and because they're I wouldn't say well-known characters. They're not. Uh, they're because they're established characters, but don't have a lot of stories dedicated mm-hmm. to them. They're ripe for adaptation, and no I one agree. gives a shit as much about like if you do something wild and crazy with them. People are like, it's Hawk and Dove. Who gives a fuck? But if it's Batman, if mm-hmm. it's you know Superman, people care because there's more investment in those characters. But Hawk and Dove is like, no one's gonna give a shit if you do something radically different. As long as like your core main characters, Robin, Starfire, Cyborg, Beast Boy, etc., are are executed well. But those tertiary characters, nobody gives a fuck about them. It's just go nuts. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's not true. People, there's going to be those dedicated fans, but 
I feel like that they're going to have those moments of maybe we can make this character into something more than it was. Like, wasn't Mr. Freeze like a joke until the animated series got a hold of it? I believe so. But there's a part of me that thinks like maybe was Mr. Freeze created for the animated series? I can't remember. I, thought, well, I, th- well, I know that he was with the Adam West show. Was he in the Adam West show? Yeah. I don't think so. Pretty sure I'm looking up right now. Fuck you. Mr. Freeze. I, I think this character, I think Mr. Freeze was created for the um for for the animated series. But Oh, no, you might be right. Let's see. His first comic appearance was uh as Mr. Freeze. His first appearance was in 1968. Okay. It's pretty old. But he was also Mr. Zero at first um back in like the 50s. And then let's see if he was a uh, in the Adam West show. Da, da, da. I'm not seeing him appear in the Adam West show, but yeah, so yeah, he I'm, was. I'm seeing then. it as Mr. Freeze is one of the dynamic dude's greatest enemy. Oh yeah, George, there we go. he wasn't. Yep, George, George Sanders, Sanders season one. Look at you, man, pulling in, pulling in the deep ref. Deep ref. Um, anyways, I, th- I think that yeah. So he of, he then probably was a joke before the animated series. Yeah. So like, and and Harley Quinn was made for the animated series, but like, I feel like there are you know those characters that are like kind of whatever who gives a shit until someone mm-hmm. else comes along like wasn't deadpool wasn't as jokey uh until some other was it i don't think it was liefeld that made him you know no, it was really like pop. joe kelly i think was uh was the guy who made um it was who was it or maybe danny way was kind of the one to really pave the way um yeah so yeah but yeah someone took over from like the liefeld and nisi as a team and and uh made Deadpool into sort of the comedic character that became the icon that he is. Yeah, exactly. And so seeing like other characters showing up that are established but don't have, you know, the the cement around them that have the potential to become more or different and just do something radically crazy with them and we'll just see what happens like Hawk and Dove. I feel like I, I, I'm super excited for Hawk and Dove just because I want to see what they do. They could just do a straight adaptation mm-hmm. of it and that's fine too. But I feel like they could also, you know, take it up a notch. Uh, yeah, and and I will say their costumes, much like Robin's costume, their costumes look amazing. Yes. Okay. Cool. This is the right path. Then it sounds like, it sounds like yeah. we're on the the right train uh, here. Cool. And so I'm excited for Titans and the DC app. Have you already talked about uh, the DC app? I'm sure a fair amount on the show. Like, is it is this a, yeah, a I mean, long commercial for it. the DC app? Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't I haven't talked about it since uh, since getting it. Um, but I've been really enjoying the, the app because, you know, I mean, I, I think there's definitely glitches and like some things that they could work on, but, um, having all these DC comics available, all these animated series, like I've been watching through Brave and the Bold lately, Batman Brave and the Bold. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a great show. Uh, what's the comic backlog like on the, on the app? It's actually pretty good. They, like a lot of people were talking about how there wasn't much on there, but like, I've honestly found a lot of stuff on there that I've really enjoyed. It's obviously not anywhere close to what Marvel Unlimited has right now. But it's also um, the launch, so I would expect mm-hmm. it to be not as robust. It's like my go-to yeah, word. I need to stop saying that They've word. curated it a lot, too, so that the stuff that you find on there, I'd say like 80% of the stuff that you're going to find on there is stuff that like is generally regarded as being pretty freaking good. Um, oh, you mean that's weird? And, They're putting their best stuff forward first uh, to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. to new readers? That's That's crazy. You mean getting them hooked yeah. on the good things? That's nuts. But yeah, there, there have only been a couple of times where I've gone on there and looked for something and haven't found it. Um, That's fine. And so it's, I, I think it's overall, like, it's a really good app, and they've, they've got a lot of stuff on there. Um, I'll be curious to see if it becomes a 
big success because I, I do think that they're limiting themselves somewhat by having this app that is basically exclusively for comic book fans. Not not against comic book fans, but I'm surprised that they didn't make a Warner Brothers app instead of a DC app, if that makes sense. Um, hmm. Because DC is part of the... Being... I'm fi- oh, I'm fine with that. Don't get me wrong. I love having just a DC app. What I'm saying is for long-term sustainability, um, I'm surprised they didn't go with, hey, let's do a Warner Brothers app that includes all this DC stuff, but also has a bunch of other stuff, you know? Yeah, uh, that's that's true. Just, yeah, like the DC tab inside the Warner Brothers. Yeah, uh, thing because because then you're casting a wider net, right? Like you could put all the Harry Potter stuff on there. You could put like the Mad Max stuff on there. You can all the other franchises that Warner Brothers has, all the animated stuff, the Looney Tunes stuff. You know, all the stuff that Warner Brothers owns, they could really put in there rather than just being limited to the DC stuff. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I just I just wonder if there is a large enough audience. Um, specifically for this app that's that will make it sustainable uh um, no I, I i i see your thought process there and that's yeah i agree the um in the long-term benefits like why not same thing for marvel could do like a disney app or whatever and well, they are that's the that's the that's the difference here is that you know with with marvel like disney is developing their own app where they have all the marvel stuff all the star wars stuff all the pixar stuff all the disney animation stuff um, so they can cast that really wide net and get a lot of people in. Mm. Um, Interesting. And I think that's the the two approaches where I'm like, I love having an app that's just for DC stuff, but uh, it makes me wonder if maybe at some point they'll pivot and be like, okay, we should probably just do a Warner Brothers app and then we can bring in all the Harry Potter nerds and all the Looney Tunes nerds and all the whatever, you know? Yeah, oh my God, I would love to have more of the Looney Tunes stuff, like the old school uh, cartoons. Totally. My God, yeah. Uh, no, I think that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of time in front of us, an unlimited yeah. amount of time in front of us as long as Earth's spinning. So yeah, I think that's something that probably will happen one day. Just it's bound to one probably. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, especially when the Disney app launches, I think that'll be the thing where they go, OK, we do need to bring out like more oh, of our big guns. Yeah, we fucked up. Like, oh, mm, yeah, let's we have Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> but I think exactly. I'm like you have like one of the biggest franchises in the world. Like you should use that. Um I I'm sure that'll happen at some point honestly. I think that it's like a almost a test to do the DC thing and then maybe they'll expand it, but I do love having the DC Universe app um and I think that the stuff on there is great and it's only going to get better. Um you know, I'm crazy excited for Doom Patrol. I'm crazy excited for the new Young Justice. I'm absurdly excited for Swamp Thing, and I have friends working on Harley Quinn, and I'm excited for that. Like, are these you know, all Star shows Girl, obviously. for DC? Yes. Damn. All right. Yeah. So they're doing they're doing animated stuff, and they're doing live action, and the What's stuff the that they have. Harley cranking. Quinn one is it uh, with the girl? That's from... animated. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's it's animated and it looks really good. They showed a teaser at New York Comic Con, and it's like it's kind of striking that really good sort of Deadpool kind of balance where it's like nice. You know, I. I think they kind of uh, drew inspiration from the fact that Donald Glover was developing a Deadpool series, animated series for FX, and then FX kind of canceled it. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, or it was maybe Marvel did or someone. Like, there were, there was just a thing where they fell out of negotiations. Um, and I think that DC was like, well, we, we have a character like that, and we're not afraid to, like, do a really, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, very, you know, uh, hard-edged comedy animated series. Like, screw it. Let's do it. Especially um, the surge in popularity with Harley Quinn is oh totally she's Oof. she's bigger than big yeah she's huge yeah awesome um, man 
yeah anyway that's that's all my stuff uh was there was there anything um that you wanted to to cover <laughs> i've got some stuff but uh i know we've been yakking here a bit uh so my catch-up is uh that i have been i've been tearing into these uh dc walmart exclusives uh i don't know what are they called how are those dude there's no walmart near me and i've really been wanting to to read like bendis and darrington's batman and and tom king's superman uh i have been enjoying them a lot uh so far my focus has been on the teen titans one uh which i know is gonna get you riled up uh, i guess of your love for the titans clearly um that one's been amazing uh i've been enjoying them i think that they are great um there's a whole lot of things i'd like to cover uh so far i've enjoyed the ones that i've i've peaked at uh each one so for those of you who don't know dc is uh doing a exclusive uh comic series normally you know going through the direct market through comic shops is the number one way but now they're doing a thing where it's just through walmart and they're printing out uh they're reprinting old comic series kind of like the way uh god there's so much to explain here but there's not uh the way uh, manga in uh, japan are produced through like the dc equivalent of like shonen jump is its own publisher there like dc would be so if dc put out um a book that just had a bunch of shorts or regular length issues and then so you pick up the next volume that has issues two for three different series and then volume three has issue three for three different series etc etc then adding new series as you go taking them away doing one shots all sorts of thing and then basically dc has like one magazine that you pick up well it's not quite like that they have four series at the moment they've got uh justice league superman Batman, Teen Titans, and maybe... I don't think they have Wonder Woman yet, so I guess it's just those No, four, Wonder four. Woman's kind of been included in the Justice League series. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right, you're right. And then they're and they're kind of doing... Like, they're doing, like, a Halloween October special as well that's, like, I, I did like, pick, I did pick that one up, stuff. Uh, and that's nice. the one I wanted to talk about. Uh, that Halloween special is hot garbage. It was awful. I didn't finish reading it yet, wow. but it was uh, terrible. Um, it does have an exclusive in it of Greg Capullo doing Swamp Thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is something that all the, every volume has is for each of those series, uh, for each series. So then let's just talk about Teen Titans as an example. It has mm-hmm. like three different Teen Titans stories, maybe four. Uh, and then you can read the next part of each of those stories in the next volumes. So you could jump in at any volume and continue reading it. It's nice to get a number one, mm-hmm. but you know what? That's the reality is it doesn't always work out that way. And that's totally fine. So you just jump in any yeah. volume and then continue the stories in the future volumes. So just keep coming back for it. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Halloween one was a standalone. And so they're kind of reprinting Halloween stories. And with DC, you think there'd be a ripe amount of stories for that, but the ones they picked are fucking terrible. It's just <laughs> really disappointing. Cause I was stoked, especially opening to, the Capullo one. And so each volume has, but to keep, to give that, that hook for you, like, well, who gives a shit? If I've already read all these comics, why am I picking up this exclusive? Well, every volume has, uh, an exclusive. It's only being printed inside this story until 10 years from now. I'm sure they reprint it again, just to go mm-hmm. into comic shops. Of course they're going to do that. Um, yeah, I'm sure you, they'll do collected editions. Exactly. Are you, have you not lived on this planet long enough yet to know that that's going to happen? <laughs> but um, for now, yeah. Let's just say for now it's an exclusive um, thing, so that 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 gives you a, like a ooh, there's an extra reason to pick it up, which is almost not one of the reasons. I just wanted to check them out, and I've been enjoying them. I think they're really cool. Um, 
but yeah, that standalone Halloween one, I just hated the stories they picked. I just they're they didn't feel Halloweeny enough. They didn't feel they're not good stories either. And even the Capullo one, the stories decent, but there isn't much of a story mm-hmm. there. It's a lot of monologuing that doesn't go anywhere. Um mm. Yeah, and that's trash because I was honestly stoked. I got two copies of it. I picked one up for me and one to give away as a gift or something. Uh, it was oh. like, oh, this is. I'm like, this is great. I'm like, it's Swamp Thing. It's Halloween. Like, it's this is screaming fun. And I mm-hmm. read it and I was really disappointed. The Teen Titan ones, though, the ones that I've read, I've I've really enjoyed because they're reprinting old stuff, and it's hmm. really fun to see old stories again. That uh, and but a grab bag of like of different eras because they're going stuff like deep nineties modern as hell like rebirth like just in the last year or two stories like they're picking from all over the place and they're just making it the best teen titan stuff that they can kind of come up with um and so this thus when you're cherry picking and that's why i assume the halloween one was going to be good when you're doing Mm -hmm. a concept like this and you're just cherry picking from your best stories and then instead of reprinting a graphic novel of it kind of turns it on its head let's combine four graphic novels together and split them up is kind of like the concept and it's just five bucks to grab an issue, which is unfortunately kind of getting flirting with the, the price that comics are getting to now uh, uh, for a single issue. So bang for your buck, you're actually getting a good amount. And yeah, if you've already read the story and you already own it, it's not as good. But if you're at Walmart shopping around, chances are you've got kids with you and chances are those kids have not read the stories. So it's, yeah. I, I think that they're great. They're really fun. Uh, they're well worth picking up. Uh, if you have a Walmart near you, sorry, Jason, I've got like four Walmarts near me. So no, you're you're good. I it's I I'm jealous for sure because there's a lot in those in those issues that I want to pick up. And I mean, one thing I will say, like one of the first like things that I got into in comics was Shonen Jump, which was a similar idea, but for manga. You know, you had Dragon Ball Z stories, Naruto, um, uh, uh, Yu Yu Hakusho, Bleach, um, a bunch of others. Uh, and those were really enjoyable. And I think that this is a great way for DC to expand its audience. You know, they're, they're, they've started getting really focused on their younger audience by doing imprints like zoom and ink, you know, and, and putting out these books in Walmart. And, and I think overall their publishers sort of focus right now is on expanding the audience, which I think it always should be. Um, but they're really trying a lot of different stuff. And I, I love that. Um, they announced something, I can't remember what it is, but they, they announced something that's going to be a target exclusive as well. Really? Um, God. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I, I think I, it's a great... I, I agree. It's a great idea. Um, yeah. And I, I want to read Bendis and Darrington's Batman because I think Nick Darrington drawing Batman is just the best thing ever. Um, and Tom King and I think it's Adam Kubert's uh, Superman in um, the, in the obviously, Superman book. Um, and then the fact that they're reprinting Jeff John's Teen Titans uh, in in that Teen Titans magazine is fantastic. Like that is the series that got me into comics. I knew you actually would, I both knew you would series. Yeah, I knew you would dig the it. The two series that I first read when I got into comics are both being reprinted through those Walmart books. Um, one of them is Batman Hush by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, um, Ooh. and then the other is is Teen Titans by Jeff Johns and Mike McCone, and then the other uh, artists who are on it. Um, yeah, I'm, but yeah, it's. it's I'm really glad. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad you're excited for that as well. Your excitement actually got me to pick it up when you were telling me about it. I'm like, okay, well, I'll check it out. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hooked on them. Uh, yeah. they're, they're super and the 12-page cool. length for those for those um, new original stories is pretty cool too. I, I like the 12-page chapter. That's an interesting challenge. Uh, no, they're really really good. So this um, 
There's this character. Do you want me to tell you about him in the exclusive one? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so for the Teen Titans exclusive one, uh, there's this new character called Sideways. I love his oh, name. Oh yeah, yeah. He was he was in um he was in uh, the metal. like the New Age of DC heroes that kind of yeah he was in metal and he was in the New Age of DC heroes that sort of kind of derailed a little bit but had a lot of interesting ideas. So they're, they're putting Sideways in the Teen Titans stuff or what? Uh, yeah, so he has his own standalone story inside the Teen Titans. Um, what do you call these? Like, what, what's the what's our go to term? For I don't know. T- giant, giant Teen Titans. Giant? Cool. So the, for these D, um, DC giants, um, mm-hmm. the inside the giant, there's the four different stories. One of those is dedicated specifically to Sideways. And oh, I think that was the series that was originally printed in the New Age, and then they've they've put it. Uh, they've basically been reprinting it immediately into. Um, okay, cool. Into then, the Teen Titans one. Probably. Uh, I it, I haven't seen it. It's new to me, so I th- hell yeah, pretty sure that it's exclusive. But if if it's not, I don't give a shit. It's good, uh, and he's a really cool character. He basically can do portals, uh, and just jumps through those, and that's where he's going sideways. Is he? I guess he temporarily jumps through another... I don't fully understand it. It doesn't matter. His name's Sideways, and he goes through portals. He's cool, and he's a teen. Um, I've always liked that power uh, for characters that can do portals. That's my go-to power for when people ask me, what would superhero, what superpower would you be? I'm like, if I can make portals that I can jump through and go to any place on Earth, that's probably my number one, uh, arguably. So I'm already going to be pretty into that uh, for a character. And it's it's... They do a good job of giving it that teen vibe without giving it the unnecessary angst. There's, of course, there's going to be your angst, and they do a good job with that, but they don't overplay it, I don't think. And it's a 12-page story, and I've already read a couple of them with him, and I'm like, oh, this is a cool character. And I, I always want there to be... I feel like Teen Titans is ripe for adding new characters into the roster better than Justice yes. League. Better than anything yes. because they can be fuck ups. They're teens. They don't have to be the best mm-hmm. of the best. Then you can get the shitty characters that are trying to figure themselves out. As much as the writers are figuring them out, and as much as the artists are, you can have those characters. That, and then maybe having them like die, and you're like, who gives a shit? We'll <laughs> just come up with another one. But then you can also yeah. add that to the like characters, you know, having to deal with the death of a, you know, another character. Or maybe someone getting injured so badly they have to retire, which really happens in comics. They should do more of that, where someone has to retire, yeah. like kind of like uh, Oracle. Um, yeah, like Oracle, or um, even in Batman Beyond, right? Like Bruce Wayne gets so old that he needs Terry to take over for him and stuff. Like some of the best series happen go. when when people have the balls to kind of move on from from the established order. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I love anytime they flirt with the idea of having Static Shock come onto the Teen Titans or oh, actually do it. Yes, fucking love Static Shock so much. Uh, mm-hmm. mm, I really hope that anything. It comes up Titans. I'm like a reporter. I'm like, uh, Kent from the, I, I just want to have my questions answered. Chronicle. Um, when do you plan on having static join the team, sir, madam? Uh, that's my, <laughs> my go-to question and thought on any new Teen Titans venture is when static coming. <laughs> Cause you own him. Why aren't you? Well, he, don't tell yeah, me they don't here, own him anymore. No, is, they do own him. Um, but here, so here's the here's the thing with Static is that they are bringing back Static pretty soon, actually. Um, well, hopefully, pretty soon. Um, do you remember Milestone Comics? Yeah, that's where he's from. Is Milestone? Yeah, exactly. That's where he's from. So they are reviving Milestone with uh, most of the original people who who started Milestone, except for obviously um, yeah. um, Dwayne McDuffie who died. Yeah, Dwayne McDuffie created Static and um, he's dead. I didn't remember his name, but yeah, it's Dwayne. 
Yeah, <laughs> and but you know you've got Reggie Hudland coming back. Um, you've got Dennis Cowan coming. Like you've got That's a exciting. lot of these creators who who started Milestone, and they are uh, as an imprint of DC. They're bringing back um, Milestone. I think they're calling it uh, Earth M. Um, That's interesting. I like the nod, but I like also the different name. I, I, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about the? Um, I, I love that they're coming back. The execution wise, keeping them in a separate universe, <coughs> segregation. I don't know if that, but at the same time, they were created in their own universe. So, what, what, who are you honoring with that? Like, mm-hmm. are, you're get, letting them have their own pond. And again, I love Elseworld stuff. I love it when it's not restricted. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Is that better to have it that way? Or do you think it's better to integrate it into the main DC universe? I don't know. I'm, um, I don't know. My my biggest thought on it is I agree with whatever the creators think is best. Oh, that's um, fair. What <laughs> whatever the creators you, you mean let the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the most obvious answer. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think, you know, it's like whatever whatever the, the people who are making the book think is best for the book, that's that's what I'm on board with. So if if having Earth M be its own thing, being separate from DC continuity is what they wanted uh then great that's you know totally fine by me um you know i i just want to read stories with these characters you know yeah exactly. Um, and so they are so as part of earth m they're launching um series a uh, static shock is kind of the big one of um uh love army duo and then uh their their first the first thing that they're doing is uh it's a one shot just called milestone um and so but the the static shock series is the one that i am like crazy excited for uh because it is being drawn by kyle baker cartoonist kyle baker who is like an absurdly talented cartoonist um i think kent you would know kyle baker from the uh hawkman uh little mini series that he did within the pages of wednesday comics like 10 years ago holy shit yeah that's yeah. a good one. Dang, good poll, and I don't know how you know that I knew that, but yes, uh, wow. I remember you mentioning it one time. Oh, okay, okay. Um, okay. Fuck your the memory. The thing with Kyle Baker is I think he is the most inventive cartoonist in all of comics. Like, you could look at two Kyle Baker works, and they will look worlds apart, because his Hawkman series looks nothing like his Plastic Man series, which looks nothing like the stuff that he that he created you know, for himself because um, he's got a lot of creator-owned comics through. I think it's called Quality Jollity is his uh, his sort of publishing line. Yeah. Um, but he's, I mean, he is just like, he's one of the most flexible and versatile cartoonists out there. And he is one of those people who is not afraid to really stretch what reality looks like. Um, Michelle Fife posted a few panels of a Kyle Baker thing a while back that was like, guy gardner just lamenting uh about how people expected stuff to look realistic even though it's a comic book and it's just like guy gardner's face just like contorting in like these weird and kind of beautiful ways yeah uh as he's talking about how it's ridiculous to expect reality in a comic book um i think it'd be really cool is if people were commenting on guy gardner's uh lantern projections is not being realistic enough and he's lamenting on that oh, right. I that's what you're getting at i'm like damn that's a no bigger. but it's more just his face stretching and contorting <laughs> and it looks amazing <laughs> um but he i like the pages they've actually shared a few pages of kyle baker's um uh static stuff and it looks awesome it looks freaking incredible whoever's coloring it I, i'm betting kyle baker's coloring it himself um but it just it just looks incredible, and I can't wait for whenever it's coming out. It was supposed to debut this month initially, but I think it got pushed back. 
Um, but if you want a sampling of Kyle Baker stuff, read Deadpool Max because uh, that was that was a great thing. Or if you can track down his Hawkman from Wednesday comics, then definitely check it out. Uh, oh. But that's like a hard one to get a hold of. I'm curious if the um, the Hawkeye stuff from Wednesday comics for Kyle Baker. I thought I heard, and it's one of those things like. You know, someone mentions it offhand, and you immediately latch it and imbue it into your own reality. Someone said mm-hmm. it once, and I believed it, and now I'm questioning it. Is that Kyle Baker did that all? Uh, something he did it all digitally, which is exactly what I think it is. It's that he did it all 3D, and that they're like screen grabs, and or that he inked over them, or just has a really cool rendering program that that's just how it looks. Uh, do you know of anything about that? I'm not sure. What I do know is that Kyle Baker is like one of the best people in the industry at using, uh, you know, like really using the digital landscape as a way to enhance the process. Like rather than trying to use the computer as a way to just like mimic the same thing, he's always found new things to do that you could only do with the computer, Um, Hmm. which is good, you know, because I think that like if you're going to use a different medium than pen and paper, like there should be areas of that that you you know, take advantage of and, and use as a way to enhance the story. Yeah. Um, you don't always need to replicate the old ways. You can, you can make new ways uh, with new no, tools. Exactly. Cause yeah. And so, but yeah, I, it does, whatever it is that he did with Hawkman, it looks, there's nothing else that looks like it. It looks <laughs> so good though. It's just like, it's incredible. I, I love that story. So yeah, he uh, sold yeah. me on my, my Kyle Baker. Um, and I, Whoa. I loved Wednesday Comics because it was basically just like this anthology of one-page stories in every issue. And so you had like Paul Pope's Adam Strange and you had Neil Gaiman doing stuff. And like um, I think Carl Kershaw did like a Teen Titans thing. Um, you and I are doing that, a lot of talking Wednesday about anthologies. We've got our Wednesday Comics. We've got our DC Walmart's exclusives. We've got some discussions that yeah. are happening on our podcast at Comic Book Workshop. This is a lot of – we're doing yeah. a lot of anthology talk. Uh, Anthologies are great. Uh, um, that, that's my that's my catch up for DC Walmart. Uh, some other stuff is uh, I've been rewatching the Jessica Jones series uh, from the first season, and it's been great. I, I haven't finished the second season, and I just jumped back in the first one, uh, watching it with my girlfriend, and uh, nice. that's that's been a great way to get someone who's not a super comics fan but is open to good stories to mm-hmm. get some comics uh, digesting. So been enjoying that. Uh, that's awesome the other comics that I've been reading are I just bought the Calvin and Hobbes uh, complete collection oh I have that too I got it for Christmas a couple years ago it's amazing oh my god like I I assume that my love of Calvin and Hobbes and my purchasing of all these different volumes that I probably have the complete already Mm -hmm. spread through a couple books but I've always wondered have I read every strip not that it and yes it's the completionist in me but it's also the i want to i love this guy's work and he doesn't he stopped working after calvin and Hobbes, bill watterson uh yeah and went full hermit um and just jumped off the grid uh and i, I just want to be able to have just everything that he's done uh with calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. i love calvin and Hobbes so much as do you find out so many people love calvin and Hobbes because it's legitimately like one of the best things ever and everybody loves Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, and I just wanted it. And what shocked me was they did the subtle small printing of mm-hmm. the, uh, what is it, the vol- um, the date on every every strip when it actually was printed. And That's great. Oh, my God. That just adds so much to it. Just seeing his schedule 
was inc- it's insane. He has like for the first thirty strips, they're all done within like thirty days. Like I don't know if it's exactly thirty days. There may be like one day off there, but mm-hmm. it means like for his first go. And he talks about it kind of in the the introduction, um, how he already had like a bit of a backlog, but the fact that they just went, "Yep, we're gonna do this," and then just hit go. And he says like that ten years of his life is like a complete blur of him producing because it's like every day needed a new strip every day Mm -hmm. needed a new strip and then sundays was even crazier um so it's just like whoo my god the the ability to just write out this very cohesive and there's not many strips of calvin hobbs that i dislike uh yeah or it's an infinite wealth of like mastery (laughs) yeah exactly and so to have to to work at that speed and to be that consistent for that long and then for him just to pull the plug i could i could see that if you're like hey you know what i, I got nothing left and i'm reaching the end here and i'm just gonna pull the plug and then i'm done with it and then he did it and then it's yeah, i love calvin hobbs so i can't i can't talk highly enough about that and i'm doing a very slow burn through that because i don't want to get to the end because i don't want it calvin yeah. hobbs to ever be done but it, yeah. yeah no and there and there's so much you can learn about the medium from calvin hobbs it's it's oh, yeah. it's really a uh, just a masterwork. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. Uh, so yeah, I, and I, I do have to, I do have to get wrapping up, but okay. we can, we can talk about the last thing here. Uh, let's talk about, uh, I can't decide Joaquin Phoenix. Let's do that one. The Joker thing. Have you talked about that on the show? I haven't talked about it on the show, but it looks amazing. I just watched the King of comedy for the first time. Um, like, so, like a week or two ago. That's fine. I just watched and, it for something like six months ago. Okay. Oh hell yeah! Well, so this this version of the Joker is being based pretty heavily on on the King of Comedy, and I think that is an incredible what? idea. Wow! Yeah. Oh wow! Uh, and so, and what's interesting is De Niro is playing the Jerry Lewis role basically no in this Joker movie. Fucking way! Holy yeah, and Joaquin shit. Phoenix, the Joker, is basically De Niro in the King of Comedy. Um, except obviously the second act probably takes a way more anarchic, uh, chaotic approach than than the King of Comedy does. Um, and so I, I think the second act starts getting more Taxi Driver and more Raging Bull. Uh, Are we the, just going to make rather, only De Niro references? For- <laughs> yeah, well, De Niro, specifically De Niro and Scorsese references, because Scorsese was originally going to be a producer on this movie, and now it's just his production company. But, um, oh. but Scorsese was involved in the development of this movie, and Todd Phillips is basically doing it as kind of an homage to, to Scorsese and to De Niro, which is why De Niro is involved. I think that this is the one of the few cards that DC has left to play, and it's one of the strongest ones when it comes to cinematic universes, is to mm-hmm. not make a cohesive cinematic universe. Yeah. How about not? That's another option. Or just, just to do tons of these standalone films, because you just want a story that's good. And sometimes it's nice to be like, I don't have to have seen all this other stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. It's a really cool experiment, and I love it beyond words, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But DC's fucked up so much on their cinematic universe. Maybe one way to pull the plug or to counteract it is to just do tons of standalone stuff that you don't need to have mm-hmm. done it. And maybe just make it fucking better. How about that? How's that an option? Yeah. And that from from just the, the pictures so far, and I don't like to judge it. We already talked about it on this very episode. Uh, I don't like to judge it, but it, it looks cool. My only issue is the Joker is overplayed. Um, he's we yeah. have so much Joker in the world. Can we have some other characters? I'm really interested in um, just the idea of uh, the Batman movie that may or may not be happening. That's 
is probably happening. Uh, it being Deathstroke, that's cool because that's not your typical yeah. Batman villain. That- yeah, I uh, I totally agree. Um, I'm 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 down with this. You know, doing more uh, individual, like low budget, you know, yeah. one off movies. Um, yeah, I'm I'm crazy excited for this Joker movie. I didn't think I would be, but having seen now King of Comedy and seeing what they're going for, I'm I'm stoked. It looks good. I'm just I'm I'm hesitant to get riled up again about another Joker movie. They're not that there's yeah. not like in, they don't have a series, but you know, like him just shows up in everything because arguably he's one of the best villains of all time. So I've, and you want yeah. money. So, and there's yeah. so many ways it's to interpret out, the though. character. They, they do need to start branching out from like Batman and Joker. Yeah, exactly. Like there's so many other characters and I feel like Batman versus Deathstroke is a great way to do established character, Batman versus a less known, really badass character, Deathstroke. Fuck yes. Yeah. Fuck yes. Granted, what a great idea. Granted, at this point, Deathstroke is 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 a well known character. Because right, of Arrow, because of Arrow, because of the games mostly. What games? Because of the Arkham games. Oh, is he known in Deathstroke's and the Arkham games? Really? Yeah, he Arkham Origins was like a Deathstroke game, basically. Oh, okay. So I've played Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, but I haven't done Origins yet, and I haven't done Night. So got it. Ah, okay. Okay. Well. Anyway, this has been one long episode, and it might uh, might end up being two. But uh, I I absolutely have to have to wrap up now. Oh, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, this was a, a go. good time. We'll get you uh, we'll get you back on uh, on the show pretty soon. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Jason. Yeah, man. And uh, for everybody listening, you can follow the show on uh, Instagram at Savage Land Podcast and uh, Twitter at Savage Land Pod. You can follow Kent at Kent Heidelman, uh, where you can find his comic Scariest and Screamforth. Thank uh, you, sir. Which definitely is worth checking out. Yep, I write and draw um, a comic. Yep, that's that's me. It's awesome. It's it's a really good one. Check it out. You can find it uh, for free online at scariestandscreenforth.com. Um, and then uh, you can find our podcast that Kent and I do together about making comics called Comic Book Workshop. It's uh, on our website at thatmightbecool.com or uh, on iTunes and uh, every other podcast app. Um, you can find me on Twitter at thatmightbecool, on Instagram at a white kid. And uh, that's been the show. We hope you've enjoyed your time in the Savage Land. Be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>